Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on May 1st, 2019. April is over. May is here. The show will not be published on May 1st, but please pay your rent. Your rent is due. It is May 1st. Uh, my name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I am also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is my partner in crime. Joining me for every episode, none other than Brad Galloway. He is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? Uh, how am I? I will answer your question with a question. Ask me what I had for lunch. <gasps> what did you have for lunch? I had clam strips and a donut. <laughs> What the fuck is a clam strip? You've never had clam strips? Clam strips? Yeah. What never... is that? You take a clam and you uh, take the meaty part of it, you cut it into a strip, and you deep fry it. So uh, I had clam strips and a donut because I am a healthy, balanced, fully functioning adult, <laughs> completely capable of taking care of myself. That's what I had for lunch. We're, okay, so let's, let's take a second here. Whenever I was in, at, like two times ago when I was in Atlanta, I went to a brunch place that had like really specialized donuts and one of the donuts I cannot remember what it was now but like I had never really encountered the idea of like a sweet versus savory donut because like a crepe is something where you can get like sweet crepes or like savory crepes and I remember for the first time in my life I had like a savory donut and I think it was like Asian themed but of course I can't remember what it is now but I remember really liking it um so was this kind of that for you? Did you have a savory donut situation or was it more like clam strips for lunch and then the donut for dessert? Yeah, it was like the second, it was the second situation. I don't think I could actually make myself eat a donut that had a clam strip on it. <laughs> uh, that does not sound good to me. And I actually, I fucking hate clams. I think clams are nasty, but like once every 10 years, I want clam strips. Um, and I don't know why, just like they just start sounding good after a number of, of years have gone by. So I don't have them often. I don't even really like clams in general. Like I don't like clam chowder. I don't like don't like clams and pasta. I just think clams are just gross in general. But like every once in a while, I want a couple of them deep fried in uh, some batter and some cocktail sauce to go with it. So had the clam strips just like weirdly. I don't know why. And then just a donut happened across my path later on that day. And, you know, uh, can't say I feel good about it. Probably not the healthiest eating choices. But, you know, uh, that's where we're at right now. Um, this reminds me that I forgot to tell you this, but um, right before we recorded the show last week, um, our wonderful friend of the show, mailman Joshua Jackson, had tweeted me. We were talking about something stupid on Twitter because I'm never talking about anything smart on Twitter. And he had asked me to have us, and I'm sorry that I sprang this on you. We can do it in the next episode if you want. But he asked us to, d to name our top five breakfast cereals that we like. Um, oh shit! I Top forgot. Do you want to do you want to put a pin in this and talk about it on the next show, or are you like prepared and ready to talk about your? I could probably right I now? could probably do top five right now. <laughs> I bet I could probably do that. I bet I could probably do that. You want me to go first? Did you have your five prepared? Well, I I kind of don't because to be frank, I don't really eat cereal that much. Whenever I did, I well, I don't really eat breakfast that much. I should say. I know it's like the most important meal of the day or whatever, but I'm like the kind of guy where I don't wake up 
and, you know, stretch and meet the day and jump out of bed. You know, I wake up and hit the snooze button like 55 times and then I crawl out of bed and then crawl to the bathroom and basically get ready in about 10 minutes before I have to go to work. So I'm not really somebody who eats breakfast, but back whenever, like in college, I ate breakfast a little bit more and I would generally just eat like kind of like Special K, like they had like a strawberry like brand of Special K, um, Special K Red Berries, I believe it was called, but they have like a lot of different versions of Special K. And for some reason, that was the one that I always gravitated toward. I think it's because I thought it was healthy, although I don't think any breakfast cereal is healthy at all. I've heard like people say that eating breakfast cereal is actually really terrible for you in the morning because it's basically like loading your body up with sugar like before you do anything else in the rest of the day. Totally, so it's totally, like really totally. terrible for you. So I kind of use that as my defense in like not eating cereal, but I remember whenever I was a slight bit younger, I would do, uh, I would eat Special K whenever I was older, but whenever I was a young child, I was a Honey Nut Cheerios and a Fruit Loops kind of guy. Um, so I don't know if I could name like five, but Special K as adult Corey, Honey Nut Cheerios and Fruit Loops as a, a child Corey. Okay, cool. Um, honeycomb is probably my number one favorite breakfast cereal. Uh, I love the original. Like we just talked about, they brought the original formula back. Um, so the original honeycomb, probably my favorite. I also really do love myself a bowl of golden grams. That's a good one. If you eat it quickly before it gets too soggy, you have to, you've got kind of a time limit on that. You got to get through it pretty quickly. Uh, but it's good when that happens. I do like Cheerios, just the old standby Cheerios with actual honey on top of it. I do not like Honey Nut Cheerios. Those are gross. <laughs> but actual Cheerios with honey on it is really good. Or multigrain Cheerios is actually really good as well. I do love the multigrain Cheerios. I'm going to lump those two together just because. Um, one that is actually super delicious that you might not think is, is Cracklin Oat Bran. That is the shit. It is so good. Does not sound like it would be good it doesn't really look good but when you <laughs> taste it it's just like really sweet kind of granola-y got a good texture to it very filling i really love crackling oat bran um and probably apple jacks when i was a kid i don't really eat it that much anymore but i love oh. of apple jacks yeah apple I jacks, apple jacks were, a lot when i was younger oh man i preferred apple jacks over fruit loops i did eat fruit loops but if i had to choose i would always go apple jacks over fruit loops uh, still love some Apple Jacks, but I don't have it that much because it's just pure sugar like like a lot of these are. <laughs> um, and a couple ones just to, to throw in for fun. These are not necessarily a top five, but Grape Nuts. I think Grape Nuts is actually really good when you're in the mood for it. You can put it on yogurt. You can mix it in um, with another cereal. Or if you just put a little bit of milk in there and honey and you microwave it, it becomes kind of like a quasi-hot breakfast cereal, which I think is pretty good. Eating a lot of Grape Nuts in my day. I think we have a box of it in the cupboard right now. And I just got to say... Um, my new obsession s'mores that I talked about, um, falling into the addiction. I was wondering if you were going to talk about this. It is. It's really good. I got to say it, it is, it's shit. It's garbage cereal. It's 100% <laughs> not good for you at all. But like the mix of golden grams and cocoa puffs, which is not too chocolatey and not too sweet, but like the gram kind of balances out the chocolate. And then all those shitty fucking plastic little marshmallows that are thrown in there are like super good. So like, it's not my top five and maybe it will be at some point, but s'mores is, is my kind of current addiction. But, yeah, there you go, uh, Joshua Jackson, he of the Cavs of Steel. Hopefully you will try some of those. If you haven't tried those, let us know what you think. Tell us what your top five cereals are. I would love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I did not mean to take us on that tangent, but we'll just call that our warm-up before we dive into the meat of the show. How about that? Uh, that's totally fine. I'm always down to talk about cereal, and I'm also down to talk about games right now. 
<laughs> well, let's switch gears then from breakfast cereals to video games, because we've got a pretty big spread to talk about today. I feel like you and I have both been guilty of bringing like one or two shows or two show two one or two shows to the game, but one or two games to the show rather for the past like month or so, because you and I are both busy people. But we've got a pretty big spread here today. So Brad, I will let you because I'm hosting and because I'm a generous and nice man, I will let you take the floor first and talk about your first game. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Um, first is a very small kind of indie jam. It's called Homo Machina, <laughs> and that's M-A-C-H-I-N-A. And it does sound like it's about gay robots, not about gay robots. If, Sorry it's, not, to disappoint. if it's not about gay robots, then I don't want to hear it, Brad. Then skip it, right? I know. <laughs> Just fuck it. Whatever. Move on to the next one. <laughs> I know for a fact there are gay robot fans out there. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that's not what this is about. Please uh, go check out your local uh, Google search engine for that. Um, they got you covered. Uh, they, and also, just a special shout-out to uh, Corey Motley, who is on the show and who has done the notes for the show today. He did a great job on these notes. Thank you very much, I, Corey I don't, Motley. I don't want to pat my own, my own back or toot my own horn or whatever, but I put the best script... And the, okay, this is why I put such a good script together today. I don't want to be this guy. A long time ago, whenever Brad and I used to write the scripts for these shows, we would put the name of the game, who developed it, who published it, when it came out, what uh, what platforms it was on, so that way we could like really have just like the hard facts up front. And then both of us got lazy at the same time, probably like a year ago, and then we just started doing the game titles. And I keep doing this thing, and most recently it happened when I talked about Fear Effect Sedna, like three or four weeks ago, where on the show, I was like, I had done no research. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think it's been out for like three or six months. And then as soon as we finished recording the show, I looked at Metacritic and it had been out for like a year. So I felt like an idiot. And I'm like, the least I could do is like look up the release date before we do the show. So I tried to get the notes together as much as I could so we can have some actual factual information here. And I'm feeling a little bit proud of myself for that. Actual and factual, you should be proud because these notes are kicking it. People at home can't see this, but this is the best notes we've had, like you said, in probably about a year. So thank you very much for doing that. I cannot guarantee that I will do the same. Probably won't, but I'm loving these notes right now. Um, You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So Homo Machina, I believe it was originally on iOS and Android, I believe, uh, came out April 25th on Switch uh, just this year, originally on iOS in May 2018. Um, I think I did play it for like five seconds on iOS and just forgot about it, but I saw it again on Switch. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is that cool game I wanted to check out, and here it is again. Basically, it's a little art house project. You tilt the Switch on its side, so you play the Switch vertically for this, so it Ooh. kind of approximates the same kind of um, landscape as a phone. And so um, it's kind of tough to describe, but basically you're inside of a person, but inside of a person are not like heart and lung and guts and stuff it's like it's like a little factory inside and so you get a little view of like the head there's like a business guy at a desk and he's like the quote-unquote the brain of the person and so he's kind of like calling the shots and so like when he needs to move the body he'll like pick up his phone and he'll call down to like the leg department and then some guy in like overalls and a a wrench will like answer the phone and he'll be like legs move ahead full speed and then the guy's like yes boss and then like there's a machine they run to move the legs and stuff. And so like the whole, they imagine the inside of the entire body as like a series of like, I don't know, like 1920s kind of like Buster Keaton, big machines that are running inside. And so the premise is that you're kind of getting ready for like a date. And so you need to prep the body. You got to do all these different things, check all your systems and make sure it all works. 
And so the brain is kind of going through his initial checks. He's talking to his secretary, which I guess is like the memory or something. And so they're like, oh, okay, well, let's check out the heart. And so you'll go down to the heart and it'll be like a mini game. So each part of the body is broken up into like a mini game. The heart is like, you have to figure out how to get the blood pumping in an efficient way and get the red blood cells loaded up with oxygen. And so you're kind of tapping on this little machine to kind of get the parts moving. You go to like, um, I don't know, like the nerve center to make sure your nerves are functioning, make sure they're all wired properly so that you can feel your hands and your feet. And uh, like every little part of the game is like a little mini game that you're doing. And then after you kind of get that all checked out, then you actually go on the date and then you kind of wrap it up. It's a pretty short experience. I mean, it's probably like two hours or something like that, depending on how stuck you get. And when you're doing these little puzzles or these little mini games, they do not give you any tips really. And some of them are kind of confusing until you figure out what it is required. Like I remember getting to the heart and I'm like, man, what is even going on? There's like a bunch of pumps and there's some blood flowing and I don't understand how to, what am I supposed to be moving here and how does this work? And I, you know, you end up just kind of clicking on things randomly and then something moves and you're like, okay, well that moved. What did that do? And then you got to figure it out. Okay. Well, if I move this and then the third thing, okay, okay, okay. And then like you get it after a while, but like there were a couple of them that were very obvious and no problem. And a couple of them where I was like, Oh my God, is this broken? Like, <laughs> am I going to have to like find an FAQ for this? Cause I can't figure this out. Um, so it, there's a good mix of easy and difficult and it's all just right there. I mean, all you have to do is eventually tap on it long enough and you'll figure it out, you know, sooner or later, but that's really all there is to it. I think it's just kind of an interesting take on the human body, kind of an interesting reimagining of like physical systems it's got a little bit of sense of humor. I think it's kind of funny that you're kind of like getting ready to go on a date and like all that that happens. And it's just a neat little thing. It's not exactly like a game game. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, a two hour, two hour tappy, puzzly experience. Anybody can play through it real easily. And it's just kind of a fun, neat, interesting uh, idea that somebody brought to the Switch. And I think it's pretty fun. So I think I bought it for like three dollars. And it took me two hours, and I think uh, it took me, like, two nights to finish it. I'd get in bed and play it for, like, an hour and a half, and then go to bed, do the same the next night, then I was done. Uh, just nice. It's just a nice little uh, morsel to kind of chew on for a little while, and it uh, didn't overstay its welcome, and I thought it was very cute. So I, I definitely liked it. That was Homo Machina, published uh, and developed by Darjeeling and Art France. Uh, Corey, thoughts, feelings, emotions? I... I'm always up for a good pre-bed video game, especially <clears throat> in the mobile format that you can play. Um, I don't have... I have one question that's kind of an easy answer that's kind of unrelated, because this game does sound pretty good. Um, I feel like you and I are usually... We play very opposite games that maybe don't have a lot of crossover, but this actually sounds like something I might check out. Uh, my only question, and I apologize if you answered this in your monologue and I missed it, but... Um, whenever you, you talked about turning the switch sideways so that you play it vertically, um, sort of like down well in a way, um, do you take the controllers completely off and just like hold the screen and that's it? Or do you still have to use the controllers in a certain way? Um, you can leave them on or take them off. Um, you do not use the controllers at all. It is a fully touch experience. So you don't need the controllers um, a bit. You can just take them off if it's too bulky for you, put them on your little nightstand or whatever and just have the the main console with the screen on it. Cause you're just touching stuff with your finger. There is no, no controller um, interactivity at all. Okay. So it's like a pretty pure, like, cause it originated on iOS. They basically just like blew it up to a switch and that's it then. Yeah. Basically just straight port across. You're using your touch interface. There's no special switch features. There's no extra content. There's nothing switch specific. It's just like playing this iOS game on the switch 
in an iOS fashion with the screen vertically and touching everything. So if you didn't play it on your phone and you don't want to play it on your phone, this is a great way to play it. The screen is nice and big. It's comfortable. Um, you know, your finger, if you have big fingers or whatever, you can touch all the stuff with no problem. So yeah, I think it's uh, pretty much a straight port, but yeah, there you go. Cool. All right. That sounds pretty good. I might have to look into that. Um, cause I have both a phone and a switch, so I'll just, I don't know. I'll see. Um, well, and three bucks. I mean, you can't go wrong with three bucks. I mean, come on. Yeah, I wonder. I need to look it up on my phone. I wonder if there's a switch tax on it, and if it's like a dollar on phones, and if it's three dollars on switch, like usual. I mean, very well could be. You never know. <laughs> so yeah, probably. But so that's Homo Machina. Definitely a thumbs up, especially at that price point. Corey, you're going to be talking about overtime, and I am not often caught completely off guard, but I know literally nothing about <laughs> this game. Tell me about it, sir. I am not surprised because I, I haven't done this in a while, but I'm pulling in my bag of tricks the same. I've done, I did this a while back, but haven't done it in a little bit. Basically, I kind of went on a little stint recently where I got on the itch or itch.io. I never know how to say it. Um, storefront, it's just like Steam, but it's like the indie ass indie version of Steam on PC. And something that I like about the Itch storefront, and I've said this probably every time I bring it up, is that it's a, a ton of stuff is free. And I mean, I am always up for a free game. Uh, never, well, I mean, I will say no to free games, but it's much less rare for me to say no to free games than I do games that I have to pay for. Um, but I like uh, sort of the PC games that are on the Itch storefront because they are, they're generally short, which is good for me because I'm always up for like a short encapsulated experience. A lot of them are first person. A lot of them are walking sim-esque or they're first person horror game-esque. Um, and this is kind of no exception. Uh, my first two games I'm talking about are actually pretty similar. And I was just kind of browsing the storefront and seeing what looked interesting. And I came upon a game called Overtime. And it is a, it's developed by and published, self-published by Joganaut, kind of like Juggernaut, but the name Joe, like a person. Um, as far as I can tell from their store, it's only a three-person team, and they have two games that they've published, so this is only their second game. Um, it was free, uh, it's PC only, and it came out in July of 2018, so it's been out for a little while. And it's kind of like a first-person um, horror game where you play as someone... I cannot remember the exact premise of it. I think it was like... Your sister used to work for this research company and then she disappeared and the building was shut down and you go back to it after X amount of months and kind of like trespass into it to find her. And this game, I want to say, I don't have a lot to say about the game because to be frank, I didn't play it for a long time, but I want to say something that I like about it and I want to say something that I don't like about it. And the thing that I like about this game is that it does a lot with a little. And that makes me happy because... This is not a AAA, photorealistic, you know, a huge blockbuster game. It's, uh, it's obvious that it was not developed by a lot of people. Like, the graphics are very pared down. It looks like nothing, none of the textures in it are well done. And I don't mean this as an insult, because I don't, I mean, they obviously weren't going for, like, a photorealistic thing. Um, you know, it kind of looks like Minecrafty in a way, like kind of like rough, kind of pixelated, but not bad. That's just the art style they were going for. And whenever something that I love about playing little indie games like this, especially games that, you know, from development teams that I don't know or that are only developed by a handful of people, is that you never know what you're going to get with them. Like you never know how capable they are. You never know if there's going to be voice acting, if there's going to be full 
like fully functioning character models, you know, anything like that. Because a lot of walking sims are, you know, there aren't other characters, there aren't character models. A lot of them don't have voice acting. Or if they do have voice acting, it's just like stuff that you hear and it's not like people standing in the game talking to you. And so there's this weird like element of surprise that goes into playing these kind of games. And I like that. And that's why I like looking at these really like super indie games. Um, and this one, so you get to the research center and it's basically just kind of like you walking around these, um, kind of like office, uh, like suites and it's kind of dark and it's kind of creepy. And again, with a horror game like this, you never quite know what it's going to throw at you. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a monster around the corner. Like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if the whole thing is going to be smoke and mirrors and if it's just going to be like jump scares and nothing's actually going to attack me. I have no idea. So I'm exploring this office building. Um, and when I say it does a lot with little, I mean specifically the audio design is really incredible because it's not a graphical powerhouse, but there's like a part where you get to a room and there's kind of like this kind of like staticky radio noise that starts happening behind you as you enter the room. And immediately I'm like terrified because I don't know what that means. Like, is something going to come in the room and attack me? Is the door going to like fly closed whenever I go to, you know, exit the room or, you know, like anything could happen. And so like I walk out of the room and I'm like very carefully like peeking down the left hallway and then I look down the right hallway and at the very end of the right hallway, there's like a bookcase or like a shelf that's blocking entry into the end of the hallway. And there's like some kind of figure standing behind it that has glowing red eyes and a glowing red mouth. And I'm I, I, like, I was already scared and now I'm even more scared because I don't know what's going to happen here. Is it going to push the shelf toward me and I die? Is it going to disappear? I don't know. So I like creep down the hallway as I'm getting closer to this thing, it's becoming clear to me that the thing is what's making the noise. Like it's emanating from this thing. I don't know what it is. And then as I get closer to it, it disappears out of nowhere and the sound goes away. So it's already creeping me out. And I like that because the game really leverages like the audio design, it makes it, um, it has a lot of impact. And like there was another part where I'm like about to walk in, I'm walking down a hallway and there's a door that's closed on the right side of me and the door like flies open. And I like nearly yelped and it was scary. And then I get to a point where you're kind of like in this circular office and you have to like get these codes off of these computer screens in order to unlock a keypad door that's in like the corner of the office. And then this is where the game fell apart very slightly for me. Like I was walking down a hallway and I like heard the noise and immediately I was like, oh God, where is this thing? What's happening? Does it, does it attack you? Does it kill you? I don't know what's going to happen. And I like turn around and I see like kind of, uh, if there is a such thing as peripheral vision in a first person game, I see it like kind of coming toward me and it almost like collides with like my vision and then it goes away. And that was kind of scary, but it wasn't coming directly at me. Like it kind of like came up behind me and I could just like barely see the monster thing like kind of clipped through my shoulder and then it disappeared in the sound went away. And so at this point I was like, I don't know, like, can this thing kill me? Cause obviously, obviously it just collided with me and like nothing happened. I mean, I was scared, but like nothing, I didn't die or anything. And I'm continuing to go around this office building. And then at a certain point I like walk out the door of one of these offices and the noise is there and I'm scared again. And then like the thing is at the end of the hallway and there's nothing between me and this thing. And it starts like 
coming toward me like kind of quickly and I immediately panic because I don't know what's going to happen. And I start like backing up a little bit and it's just like coming right for me. And I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? And it like hits me like straight on. And it kind of looks like a Minecraft monster. Like it's kind of like a black blocky figure with like these glowing red eyes and red mouth. It collides with me. And then the game's like, you died. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I was like a little bit disappointed because I was hoping I wouldn't die. I was hoping I would just like wake up or something. Not only did I die, the game restarts. And would you believe it if I told you that it restarted me to the very beginning of the game? Actually, I would believe that. And that's exactly what my question was going to be. I was going to be like, oh, to the very beginning, you mean? Because that's kind of what I expected from uh, an indie jam like the one you're discussing. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how long of a play was that? I mean, I was, I was trying to get a sense of like from the beginning of the game to the point which you died, like how many minutes was that? I mean, I guess I didn't really sell that very well because I didn't, it was hard to tell. But I mean, it wasn't that long. It was maybe like 15 or 20 minutes, which is not that long. But that was 15 or 20 minutes that I didn't want to replay to get back to that totally, point. Totally, totally, yes. Especially yes. I mean, because where I was playing, it, the, there wasn't like a hard line, but there was like a pretty good spot where I could have predicted a good checkpoint would be. Like where you kind of get into the second office where you have to find the, like the second suite where you have to find, put the key code numbers together. I thought that's where I was going to restart because you have to like crawl through this event and you come out on the other side. And I was like, okay, this seems like it would be a good spot for a, for a checkpoint. But unfortunately it sent me back to the very beginning of the game. And I was like, you know, I've got some other games I'd rather play. I don't really have the patience for this. So I just turned it off and I like, I mean, yeah, like the checkpoint thing is kind of like a missed mark. And I don't want to say, I mean, the game's not bad. I do like what it's doing. I just don't have the patience to go back and play all of that again. And who knows, maybe it's something they'll fix in the future. I mean, I think they put this game together in like a two-day game jam. So it's not like they developed it for 15 years and then put it out. Um, you know, it's still like, you know, it's pretty like new, if you will, and like wasn't worked on for an eternity. But I mean, I liked what it was doing. Um, and then I died and this happens to me a lot in games. I've talked about this before where like, you know, I, there's a lot of games that I play and I like them until I die. And then as soon as I checkpoint back a certain amount, I suddenly don't like them anymore because I only like them up to the threshold, like to where my last save point was. Like I talked about Onimusha, the remake on PlayStation 4 a while back. Same thing happened with that game. It got kind of hard. I kept dying and then I just decided I wasn't going to play it anymore. Pretty much the same thing for this, although I did spend a lot less time with it. So I appreciate the environment they set up, and I like that they're doing a lot with little with the audio design and sort of like the really pared down visuals of it. But I just did not want to play the whole thing again in order to get up to that point, and I stopped playing it. Well, you know, I mean, that makes perfect sense, and I think that developers these days have to be really careful because there are a jillion, literally, this is a mathematical term now, <laughs> a jillion games out there, and a lot of them are really cheap or even free. So if you're going to pull something like that, like if you're going to like not have a checkpoint or make people replay a certain amount of, of, of stretch of a game, like you must be very judicious about that. You must do it for a reason, or you must have a purpose. It can't just be we didn't put in a save point or this game is only 20 minutes long, so we didn't, you know, like, I mean, there has to be, like, a very, very good reason you're doing that, because I don't think most games can really pull that off. And to be honest with you, um, I I share that same, like, giving up of the ghost. Like, you know, like, something is, I mean, I, I don't necessarily 
think that it's when I die. Although when you do die and lose a lot of progress, that is a huge wet blanket to me. But often to me, it's when a game gets too hard. It's like, I'll put up with a game that's not good. Like if it's just okay, or if it's like, you know, something I've played a million times before, but it's a new one or you know, whatever. Like I can put up with a mediocre game as long as that game is wanting me to interact with it. Like if it's welcoming me in and if it wants me to play and if it's not too hard and not putting up too many barriers. But the minute they want me to start like working for it is like, I'm like, whatever. Like this is a <laughs> dumb throwaway game and I don't need to be here. I've got 45 other games that are all probably better than this. And if I'm going to put effort into something, I want it to be something that really feels worth it. So I totally get what you're saying. Like, I mean, I can totally play like a scary game or, or a, an indie game or something. And if, if it's just, if it's rolling along and there's checkpoints, that's totally cool. I'll be happy to push forward, but I'm not about to like replay 15 minutes of, of, of gameplay, especially for something like that, where it just doesn't really sound like it's really that engaging. Like it's cool to go through it the first time, but like once you've been through it, I mean, you already know what's coming or you know what it's like. And then no one's, no one can really say that you're not going to die at the same point next time. So why would you want to do that? Potentially die again and then potentially have to do that same 15 minutes again. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I mean, maybe that was okay back in the day, but like competition is fucking hot these days and like, you got to be on point. And I don't think there's a lot of games that could get away with that these days, especially not, you know, not something like this. No way. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate, but that is the way it is. But I also don't want to be that guy that comes to the show and like, cause it's so easy whenever it's games like indie games like this that have like three developers and they built the game in two days because I, I don't want to be an asshole because it's just going to sound like I'm punching down and being like a jerk if I'm like, oh, this game sucks because oh, I don't think this game sucks. But it's easy to like pick on, you know, a smaller development team with a smaller game. But I do appreciate a lot of the things they're doing here. And I was like genuinely into the atmosphere and like scared and it was kind of doing all the right things. But just like one added checkpoint between those office suites would have been like perfect for me to stay in because I would have played it again or tried it again if I had gotten up to that point. Um, and like knowing, I mean... To their credit, like knowing what I knew playing through it the second time, I probably could have gotten back to that point in about three minutes, you know, if I had just like booked it through sure, it. Because I mean, sure. there was nothing like threatening, but I just didn't want to deal with it, so I turned it off. Well, and you know, and to clarify my statement, I definitely don't want to sound like I'm punching down on indies or like I'm not up for games like that. I mean, I've played many games from larger publishers where I don't put up with that for the same reason. So it's not like I'm just. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm picking on indies. That is not the case at all. But um, I just think that, you know, um, it's like when when you've got Rihanna and when you've got, like, um, you know, Lady Gaga and stuff out there. <laughs> if you want to, like, put out a record, I mean, cool. But it's got to be good. Otherwise, why would you not be listening to the people that are killing it, right? Like, I mean... <laughs> It's kind of the same thing with games. It's like there's a lot of games out there and there's a lot of like really, really, really good games out there. And it's not just enough to just make a game like it has to be like a good game or it has to have some kind of really cool idea. It's got to have something about it that catches your attention. So, I mean, I feel like the bar has like never really been higher for developers these days. And so to hear about a mistake like that is like, oh, that's your one mistake. Bye. You know, like, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just kind of the way it is these days. Just just real talk, you know? Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is, like, you're totally right. Like, the, the bar has never been higher for developers, but also the barrier for entry to develop games has never been lower. And I don't yeah. mean that as, like, a skill level. I just mean that, like, everyone is making games these days. And, like, so you have, you know, the bar is high, but the barrier is low. And whenever it comes to a platform like Itch or even, like, on Steam, I mean... 
first-person narrative adventure horror games, there that's like half of the Steam store. Like, Dude, seriously, <laughs> there's so, so many, many out there. Yeah. And I mean, I I like to try them because you know it's kind of my jam, and I especially like games that are short. Because if I know a game is not going to be like six hours long, because a lot of these games, it's like okay, it's an hour or two long, maybe you play through it, you kind of get your fill, and that's totally cool. But there, I mean. The, the market for that specifically is so saturated that you really have to do something special to kind of like make yourself known in that world anyway. But like at, at the end of the day with like overtime specifically, I mean, it was free. I'm sure this was more of like, I mean, obviously they put the product out there for people to play and I, I appreciate that they did. And I think that's a good thing. But I mean, I, I also don't think that they were putting it out there to like, you know, be like, oh, look at this amazing game that I made. You know, I don't really get the sense of a lot of that stuff, especially on an itch. It's more like, hey, this is kind of like a project we worked on, or it's like a game jam game for a couple of days. And we're just kind of putting it out there to show you what we've done as like a portfolio piece. Whereas on Steam, I feel like everybody on Steam is like trying to make money and like trying to make it big and trying to get their big break. And that's what I like about the itch uh, storefront is that it seems much more like portfolio focused and like less about like trying to get famous or trying to make a ton of money. So like, I really, it's kind of like art housey in a way. Like I really appreciate that about it. And this kind of just reminds me of that. So that spirit of it. That is actually a really excellent point. I'm glad that you reiterated that because um, as you have here in these wonderful notes, um, it was for free. And so I can't really be mad at anybody for putting a game out for free. Like you said, it very well could be for portfolio reasons. It could just be something they jammed out and just wanted to share with other people. So that's totally fine. I definitely don't want to seem like I'm punching down on these guys. I mean, you know, more power to them. Uh, you know, I wish them success and good luck and all that stuff. So it's very, that's very respectable that they do that. And if you're putting something out there for free, I can't. I can't be mad at that in any sense. So. Yeah, and I wasn't cool, trying cool. to imply that you were punching down either. No, I, just... I didn't think you were. I just want to be clear because there's going to be an email about how, how dare you be so mean to indies and stuff. And that's not what I'm trying to do at all. Apologies if, if that's how it sounded, but... No, I, you know, just like we said, I mean, competition is really high. The barrier for entry is really low. It takes a lot to catch somebody's attention and like one mistake and you're over. So that all is true. But then again, it's three dudes who put out a game for free. So that kind of, you know, um, ca cancels out a lot of the potential criticism. So, I, you know, good on them. Good for you, Jogonaut, you three person, you <laughs> three person studio, you keep doing what you're doing. Indeed. Well, I, like I said, I am. Um... I, as I always do, I'm like, oh, I just have a quick few things to say about this game. And then I spent 20 minutes talking about it. But that's enough for um, overtime. I could make a cheesy pun like, oh, I really went into overtime talking about overtime or something like that. Um, but I'll just cut it there. Uh, Brad, do you want to talk about your next game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this one I have very mixed feelings on. I feel, I feel genuinely bad about oh, what I'm no. about to say. So I feel a little guilty right now. Uh, but I am an honest person. I pride myself on being probably one of the most honest people you'll ever meet in your life, if you ever meet me. And if you listen to this podcast, you can rest assured that I am giving you the straight dope. I, I do not obfuscate things, and I tell it like it is. That often loses me friends and gets me in trouble, but I just don't want to live my life any other way, so I have to do what makes me feel comfortable. And telling the truth is something I like to do. It's also, so, I just want to interject for a second. Yeah, yeah. It's also important to note, because I think whenever I listen back to the show and we talk about, like, honesty in games, I think about this a lot. We often, I say we as in you and I and as, like, the general public, we often conflate honesty with saying, like, harsh criticisms about a game. But I would like to flip that and also say that 
on whenever like you and I are being honest about games, we're also being honest about the things that we like and the good qualities. Cause it's often 100%, 100%. like, I mean, you often hear people say like, Oh, well I'm just being honest. You know, I'm going to shit all over this game, but Oh, I'm just being honest. But like, Honesty is much more than just saying that we don't like something. It's unfortunate that we have to, like, say that before we say that something isn't good. But we're always being honest about the stuff we love as well. Very true. Every bit of praise that I drop is praise that I genuinely feel. I don't puff games up just for fun. And I also don't tear games down for fun either. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good point. I'm glad you raised that because that is that is legit uh, the truth. So let me talk about the game. Uh, it is SteamWorld Quest... Hand of Gilgamesh, coming from Image and Form, published April 25, 2019, and it's as of right now, Switch exclusive. Uh, so a little bit of background, I love Image and Form as a developer, I'm a big fan of their games, and I know uh, the head of the studio personally, he is like one of the sweetest guys you will ever meet, uh, his name is Brian, he's from Sweden, uh, his name is not actually Brian, but he thinks that um, Westerners can't pronounce his name, so he says just call me Brian, <laughs> which is very nice of him. Kind of tells you the kind of guy he is. He kind of just gets the awkward part out of the way. Uh, I, I give him a hug every time I see him. Like, legit, we're hugging friends, and so, I mean, we're tight. But I have to be really honest again, coming back to the honesty thing. Um, I think this is probably... I don't... I, oh, man, I feel really... I mean, I feel like this is probably the worst game they've ever made. Oh, no. And, and they don't make bad games. Like, these were, like, one of the people that I would hold up as, like, have never made a bad game. And I don't want to say this is a bad game. Like, it's not a... It's not a terrible game. It's not a bad game. But compared to their other work and compared to what the final product is, I mean, I'm just kind of disappointed in it, man. Like, I just... I just don't like it that much. And I usually love the games from these people. Image and Form are some really talented people. Um, so what this game is, okay, so let me back up a little bit. The Steam World is like an IP that they make. Started off with a tower defense game on, I think it was the DS. Then it went to Steam World Dig, which was a 2D, kind of like a dig dug in a mine going downwards, but also kind of a platformy game. And then they went to Steam World uh, Heist, which was a 2D turn-based strategy shooting game. Uh, they did SteamWorld Dig 2, but like every SteamWorld game is like basically different from the last one. So they keep the SteamWorld where it's a universe full of robots that run on Steam. That is always the same. And it's always bright and colorful and really cool looking and the music's always nice. Um, production values are always really good on these games. But they don't share a genre. Like they're not building on each other in the traditional way. So it's always something new with these guys, which I think is great. I love a developer that doesn't get comfortable that they just, they break out of the box. They do something new every time. I want to celebrate that like hardcore. Like I think that's amazing. So that's the background. I've loved all of the steam world games. Like literally everyone. I I'm big, big fan. Genuinely good. Go check them out. If you haven't played them. So steam world quest is again, something new. It is a turn-based RPG, which uses a card based combat system. Uh, you do not collect the cards. There is no DLC or anything like that. Everything, everything is within the game. And it's just about deck building where you find cards in the game. And then each card will have an ability like it'll be like punch for three points or cast fire for five points or, you know, whatever. Something like that. Heal your party for ten points or something, you know, along those lines. I'm sure you can get the idea. So you collect these cards in the game. You have a party of three people. Each person has eight cards so you never, ever, ever, ever have more than 24 cards total to deal with. And you only ever have like, I don't know, like six cards in your hand at a time. So it's all very manageable. 
You're not ever looking at a billion cards at once. You're never overloaded with like handfuls and handfuls of cards. The cards are very well illustrated. They're very clear and easy to understand. The game systems are very clear and easy to understand. The UI is great. Art is great. The, the, the combat system itself is actually really brilliant and elegant. I think it's really well done. But the problem um, with SteamWorld Quest, and again, I just this kind of breaks my heart to just say it, is like it's just it's really boring. Like it gets boring because the game is too shallow and too long. Um, I think I played about eight or ten hours, and I think I was maybe halfway, and I was like ready to be done with it by that point. And I could not imagine putting another ten hours into it. And also, um, there's just not much more to it other than the combat system. Now, granted, it's a good combat system. But it's just not enough to carry the experience. Um, the dungeons are really boring. They're just like hallways and doors, and nothing really fun happens there. Uh, the story is pretty lightweight. It's just a really quickie vehicle to kind of get the action going. There's nothing really interesting with the characters. Um, there's no puzzles, really. I mean, there's some, like, really, really, really super minor stuff. But, not, I mean, like, like switch-pulling kind of stuff. Nothing more complicated than that. Uh, there's no side quests. There's no skill trees. Um, I mean... You can upgrade cards, I guess, but that's about it. It just kind of boils down to grinding for resources and upgrading a card to give it more damage or make it heal you for more or something. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. And in a way, like, I celebrate that because I like that it's so easy to understand. I like it so easy to get into. And that is a skill into itself. Making something so easy and understandable and approachable is a, is a real skill. And image and form do it well. But I just feel like this game is missing a couple of layers. I really wish there was like a town to visit and some side quests to do, or if you had more of a reason to change the characters of your party a little bit more, or if there was, I don't know, like a skill tree where you could specialize a little bit more. And I know that some of that would kind of like defeat the purpose of keeping it simple, but at the same time, I think there is such a thing as being too simple. And I feel like Image and Form really walked that line ex extremely well, like in the history of their games, they have always had a very good balance of approachable, yet satisfying. Like, not too complicated, but not too simple. They've been real masters at walking that line. Um, but I feel like they kind of fell down a little bit. Like, it's not a bad game. It's a beautiful game. Great combat system. Great production values. But it just... You just end up doing the same random battles over and over and over. And there's not really anything else in the game to kind of keep it rolling. And I just, to be perfectly frank, I just got really bored of doing the battles. Like, I just didn't think it was interesting enough to carry it for 20 hours. So I tapped out at about 10 hours, and I felt like I was good. I unlocked all the characters that I was going to unlock. I had seen most of what the battle system had to offer. I mean, I'm sure there's some more cards I didn't get or whatever. I'm sure there's more bosses coming up or something. But, I mean, I got the gist of the game. Like, I got it. Like, I, I understood <laughs> it from front to back, right? I mean, there's nothing else really to discover. It's just about repetition from that point forward and i just didn't want to do that for 10 more hours so this is the first image and form game i haven't finished i finished all the other games i've loved all their other games um and they're really high quality developer i have nothing but really good things to say about them but i just feel like they kind of missed the mark on this one it's just a little bit not where it should be could have used a little bit more complexity could have used a little bit more nuance and i just didn't want to play anymore so i still love these guys still love you brian still love image and form think you guys are wonderful Still a fan, but this one was a miss. Um, are you ready for me to deliver a dad-ass dad joke right now about this? Oh, I'm always ready. I'm always ready. Okay. Would you say that SteamWorld Quest is not SteamWorld's best? 
Ooh, that where you were, you didn't go where I thought you were gonna go, and you that was a good one. Yes, absolutely, it is not their best. That's a good one. I what did you think I was gonna say? I was waiting for you to say it ran out of steam. Oh damn it! <laughs> that was that was the obvious one, but you did me one better. But that was a good one. Oh man, uh, that was good though. I could have said that. Oh, Steam World. Would you say that they? ran out of steam with this game oh That's there it weak. is there oh it my is. god yeah, yeah yours was better though i'm always up for good rhyme so yeah i hate to say it but this is the first one of their games of all their games that i really kind of feel like i can't just give a universal recommendation to which really kind of bums me out but um hopefully they will do something with this make an improved sequel give it a little bit more depth and it would be really sweet i just i just i just don't want to do random battles again i just don't want to do it anymore there's just not enough to this game sorry to say well, the good news is you don't have to do it anymore because you have the power of not playing the game. I have the power of saying no. That is correct. So, <laughs> All right, let's move on. Corey, again, two times in the show, you have absolutely stumped me. I have no, literally no idea what this is. It's called Dia, D-I-A. Looks like another indie. Is this, oh yeah, also an itch. Uh, tell us about Dia. Yes, this is um, very uh, keeping in similar vein to the first game I talked about. Dia is... Also, I, I basically played like five or six games over the past couple nights that I had downloaded on Switch. And these were the, or not on Switch, on, on Itch. Not on Switch, but on Itch. Um, these are the two that I kind of decided to talk about tonight. I don't know if I'm going to talk about the other ones I played because I don't know if they're worthy enough. Um, but Dia is another game that I played last night that I thought was pretty fascinating. Um, it's by a developer called, I think it's Vitas or Vitas Games. It's V-I-D-A-S Games. And I looked at their library in the Itch store, and I was actually kind of surprised to see that they've published, like, 15 games, which is a lot of games, because, like, most stuff that I come across in the Itch store, it's, like, their first or second or third game, and so it's cool to see a publisher or a developer like this have kind of a big library. Um, I did not look at any of the other games yet, but I actually might go back and check them out to see what they have to offer. Um, and I noticed that most of their other games are also... There's a price on them, which is good, Um because I believe in knowing the value of your work, uh, but Dia was free, and it was also like kind of like a new and recommended game on the storefront. So I downloaded it. It actually came out um, just last week on the 23rd, so it's pretty fresh. Um, it is a first-person horror game, another one, another first-person horror game. Um, this one's quite different from Overtime, though, which I talked about earlier. Um, Dia is very inspired by Silent Hill in a way, but the thing that I think fascinated me the most about Dia is for the setup, um, you are, it's first person, again, uh, first person horror. You're kind of entering this city, um, very industrial, kind of, um, it looks, it's more graphically like powerful than over time. It definitely looks a little more modern. The textures are better. Um, you can tell that there was a little more like development muscle that went into this game. You enter this kind of, like, grayish city, um, and there's a, like, near the beginning of the game, there's just, like, this dead body over on the sidewalk. And it's not, like, bloody or cut up or anything. It's just, it just kind of looks like they threw a character model on the ground. And you, like, <laughs> which I, I like. I enjoy this. Um, because it's, it's, like, unnerving. Like, you're walking through the city, and something that I really want to highlight, the thing that I think left the biggest impression on me about this game is that um, 
It is inspired, I mean, I feel like it's inspired by Silent Hill because shortly into the game, you see like a radio on the ground and you, it, it like makes the staticky noise just like it does in Silent Hill. And then you pick up the radio and a woman starts talking to you over the radio and she's like, what are you doing in the city? Like there's a tower down the street. You have to come find me. Like you need to get out of there. And so it's kind of got like a Silent Hill-esque sort of like the, the radio goes off when like something is about to happen. And you walk past a dead body early in the game, or I mean, I guess it's dead. I don't know. I didn't check his pulse. I just walked by it because I didn't want to touch it. Um, and you, there, like every once in a while in the city, there's like a big sign up. It's kind of futuristic that says like, you know, population colon one, which leads you to believe that <laughs> you are the population of the city. And the thing that kind of fucks with you is that every once in a while, and there, there's, there's these signs everywhere. Like, you go down the street, there's that sign on the building. You turn the corner, the same sign is on another building. You go up into this, like, stair alleyway, and there's a sign right there. Like, they're everywhere. And every once in a while, as you're walking, the population sign will change to two, which is terrifying because you Creepy. know something else is there. But despite being a horror game, being first person, being inspired, I think inspired by Silent Hill, and setting itself up to be, you know, this kind of like creep fest, um, the thing that fascinates me the most about this game is that unlike most other horror games that I've played, this game is like bright and white and blue. Because when you think of horror games, you think of like, you know, dark and nighttime and streetlights and dense fog and rain and creepy. But this game, there is sort of like a fog overlay in front of you, but it's kind of like out in the distance. It's almost as if the city is so bright that you can only see so far ahead of you, but it's kind of like that mixed with fog. I'm probably not describing this very well, but I like the city because it's like, it looks like it's happening during the day or maybe you're on like a planet that has like bright light or something. Like, I don't know if you're on earth, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Um, but, like, the buildings are, like, blue and white, and everything is really vibrant. And I like that it it can still, like, be bright and beautiful, but be scary at the same time. Because most of the time, horror games are not, um, are not bright and pretty. They're, like, dark and dingy and gross. So I really like that. So every once in a while, you go past, like, you'll be walking past these population signs, and it'll say two. And then it'll switch back to one. And then you're, like, walking forward, like, not knowing what that means. And then, like, the same dead body will, like, appear again somewhere else. And so it's kind of like, I don't know if the dead body is not dead and it's moving or if there's multiple dead bodies and they all look the same. I don't really know what's happening here. And I'm not going to spoil it for anybody that's played it because the game is short. It took me, like, 20 minutes to play it. It's one of those short and sweet indies, um, which I appreciate. But the thing that is kind of scary is that the woman is talking to you over the the radio and she'll and you don't talk back to her. It's just her talking and she'll say stuff like like, oh, um, like, don't like one. I don't. OK, I don't want to spoil it. I actually won't say it. Um, but there's like one situation where she like kind of tells you like not to do something and it's kind of unavoidable. So it sets up this really like scary scenario where you're like, OK, well, you told me not to do this thing, but I really have no option but to do it. Um, and, like, she kind of, like, leads you to believe that there's, like, monsters in the city, but that they're, like, hidden. And so, like, the population signs keep flashing between two and one, and you think that maybe there's something that's going to, like, attack you or I or come out of an alleyway or something. And I, 
this is one of those games where I feel like an idiot when I talk about it because it's so short that I can't say a lot without spoiling the whole thing and I don't want to spoil the whole thing. So I will just kind of leave it at that and say that it was like a short and frightening experience and I liked it. And, but the thing that I like most of all about it is the fact that the city is so bright and so beautiful. It's kind of almost like if like a horror game took place in like the Mirror's Edge universe in a weird way, but like worked somehow. Like that's kind of what this is like. And I, I just really enjoyed that about it. And I thought it was a well done game. Um, I do want to go back and look at the rest of their library to see if they offer anything else that's similar to this. That's sort of in the same vein. Um, but this is Dia. It's PC only. It's been out for about a week. I had downloaded it on itch on PC. It was free. I don't know if it's going to stay free forever. Um, like I said, a lot of the games in their library are, uh, they are charging for them. I don't think they're expensive though. Like, you know, five bucks, eight bucks or something like that. But I did enjoy this. I thought it was interesting. I liked the environment design because it was kind of unlike a lot of stuff that I've played in a horror game. Um, and that's it. I, I liked it. I give a thumbs up to Dia. And it's free. I mean, again, how can you go wrong? I mean, I guess just download it and give it a shot. You don't like it. You haven't lost anything but the time. So. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. And, you know, I do, I have not played this, um, probably won't play it, but I do want to give props to games that try to do scary stuff and also don't turn the darkness down as their primary way of making you scared. I get so tired of dark games or games that just, like, you know, block your ability to see things as a way of making you scared or feeling vulnerable. It's the easiest fucking thing to do. It's so, like, bereft of imagination it's so trite and tired, and I just like, it's video games. Let me see what I'm doing. It's just stupid if I can't see what's going on on screen. So props to any game that tries to do a scary game and yet leave the lights on. There's a few that do it, not many, um, but I, I applaud the attempt. So good on you, Dia. Uh, right on. Uh, moving on, I just have a few words to say about a game that's just, which to me is very strange and puzzling. Um, <laughs> as a parent, I am constantly looking for games which are good for my son to play. Uh, and honestly, if there's any developers listening, and I think there are probably a few, I think there is a huge untapped market for kids games, which give them the freedom to like run around an open world or to experiment with things without having to like collect or beat a time limit or you know, just the, just the feeling of experimentation and playing with something is very valuable. And I don't see a lot of games doing that, honestly, or the ones that do are just so painfully boring that that, that no one wants to play them. So for anybody listening, if you can make a kids game that lets kids play and explore and learn the mechanics of games without being punished you're going to make a mint uh trust me on that because as a parent searching for those they are few and very far between so keeping that in mind i'm always on the lookout for games which i think might be good for kids especially if they're good uh in general not just for kids but good in general so i got contacted by a developer baked games <laughs> i believe they're in poland i think I'm pretty sure they're from Eastern Europe somewhere. And they're like, hey, Brad, I wanted to do like Polish accent, but I'm not going to embarrass myself <laughs> that way. Just imagine that I've got a really convincing Polish accent. And they're like, hey, Brad, we've got this kids game for the Switch. We want to hook you up with it and check it out. And I'm like, yes, I'm all about the kids games. Send it over. Their game is called Theater Tales, but it's T-H-E-A-T-R-E. -E, so it's the fancy theater. Theater Tales. <laughs> uh, and it is... A 2D kids game that is experimental in that kids can play with things and touch things and nothing, they never die. There's no penalty and nothing bad happens. There's no violence. It's very kid friendly. It's very open, basically like an electronic toy they can play with. And their goal is to tell 
a bunch of like uh, fairy tales or folk tales. So the very first one is Red Riding Hood. I'm sure everyone is familiar with the story of Red Riding Hood. And the characters are portrayed as like puppets on a stick. And so you control the puppets and the game will tell you like, oh, you're Red Riding Hood. Pick up your hood, put it on. And here's a basket, pick up the basket and put some food in the basket. And then here's a picture of your grandma. Click on the grandma to go to the grandma. Like it's very, very simple, very straightforward, very easy to figure out what you got to do. But the, the graphics are cool. They kind of look like cutouts, sort of very puppety, very approachable to kids. Great stuff. Um, my kid started playing it and he is probably a little bit beyond the age range. This is probably for littler kids. My son is almost 10, but he still thought it was very cool from a presentation perspective he was you know he was interested enough to play it all the way through uh he finished the red riding hood story in about four and a half minutes yeah so it was very quick and then after he finished it he's like that was great i want to play the next one and so he went back to the game's menu and there are slots for like i don't know like 12 or 15 other stories like three bears um I don't know, Three Little Pigs, uh, you know, whatever, like a tortoise and the hare, all that shit. So he tried to click on the next one and it was locked. And he's like, Dad, how do I do the next one? I'm like, well, I don't know. Did you finish the first one? He's like, yeah, I totally finished it. And he knows about games. Like, he's not a game noob. I mean, and he's only 10, but he has gotten a lifetime of game knowledge under his belt being in my house. So I'm like, well, that's weird. Let me go back and check it out. I played through it. it took me exactly like four and a half minutes. And I'm like, okay, well, this is over and there's nothing really to do. And I'm like, well, what is going on? So I emailed the publisher and I'm like, hey, dude, your game was cool. My son liked it. I, I liked it, too. I thought it was neat. I want to talk about it. But I just could not figure out how to access the rest of the content. What do you do? Please tell me it's not DLC. And he's like, oh, no, 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 it's not DLC. They just haven't made it yet. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you, what? You, you published this game. You put this game out on the Switch. There's one complete story. There's slots for like 12 or 15 other stories. And they're not done? Like, you're going to seriously put this game out with four and a half minutes of content on it? He's like, yeah, they're working on it. And I'm like, oh. oh my God. God. So I just had to take a minute to be just like, pull my, <laughs> put my brain back in my head and be like, I don't understand why you did this, but okay. So Theater Tales from Baked Games is on the Switch, and it has a really great four and a half minutes of Red Riding Hood on it. And I would like to recommend it, but I honestly can't recommend it with four and a half minutes of content. I mean, that's that's really short even for an indie game. You know, that's ridiculously short. Uh, that's short for by any stretch of the imagination, by any standard, that is an incredibly short experience. It was good. I liked it. I would like to see more. We would have played through the whole thing if it had been there, but it's not there. It's just not made yet. So I guess come back to it in a year and see if there's more content. Hopefully they'll finish it by then. Can't recommend it. But if all the rest of the games are of a similar quality, I think it'll end up being a very cool product for kids. So that's all I have to say about it. I wish I could say more, but I mean, there's just one, one twelfth of the content is there. And I just feel like they maybe launched it a little prematurely. Mm, here I was coming to the show feeling like an idiot for playing a game that took like 15 or 20 minutes to beat. And then being like, oh, I can't say a whole lot about it because it's only like 15 minutes long and I don't want to spoil it. And then you totally one up to me with your four and a half minute game, Brad. I mean, you played something that was like three times longer than what I played, man. You got way more content out of your games. I'm a little <laughs> bit jealous, honestly. Um, but it's just a shame because I think the style, the puppet style is really cool. I think having something like this for kids is great. It's a great idea. I mean, just why did you guys release it? It's not done. You should have made like 
all the rest of the games. And apparently they're going to be free updates, which is great. I'm really glad to hear that they're not charging for anything um, after you've got the game. But, I mean, come on, guys. It's a little absurd to release a game so soon. You should have at least had, like, at least half of the stuff up there before you released it. But, anyway, come back in a year. It'll probably be cool. If you have a kid in a year, check this game out. I'm sure it'll be great. I will check back on it at some point. But uh, there you go. Anyway, okay, moving on. Two more games before we get to the end of this epic, epic recording. Um, and by the way, folks, we have a monster uh, banter section at the end of the show, so stick around for that if you want. But two more games to cover here. Corey, I'm very curious about this. I'm glad you brought this up. I've seen this game many, many, many times. In fact, I even own this game on the Switch, I believe. <laughs> I have never played it. I, I know almost nothing about it, uh, but it's been on my radar in a peripheral sense. No one's ever really come out and recommended it or dissed it but I've seen it mentioned many times. It's been around. It's been on sale. The Long Reach by Painted Black Games, published by Merge Games. Uh, tell me all about it. I don't really know a lot about it other than it's some kind of a 2D horror game. Yeah, I didn't really know a lot going in either because this is a classic case, and I've said this on the show a hundred million times, of me scrolling. I played this on PlayStation 4, by the way, but it is multi-platform. And shockingly enough... It is multi-platform on PC, Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and the Vita. This is on the Vita, Brad. Can you believe that? You know, the Vita is still getting releases, honestly. I haven't been keeping up with it, but there are still drips and drabs. I mean, Vita people still have something to hang on to. But honestly, if you have a Vita, you're hanging on to it, that's great, and I feel that love, but get to the Switch, please. Just go to the Switch. <laughs> that's what we're all doing. We all agreed. We all sent out the memo. Vita people, go to the Switch. That's your new home. But anyway, continue, please. <laughs> okay, so uh, classic case of me browsing the PlayStation 4, like the games on sale. And this is one of those games that I had like seen on sale probably like three or four times over. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, it kind of looks like my bag because it's 2D horror, pixel-based, kind of looks retro. And I've played games like this that I really liked before. Um, like, it made me think of Uncanny Valley. Is it kind of yes. the same basket as that? Um, it looks very similar to Uncanny Valley, which I talked about Uncanny Valley a long time ago on the show, and I really liked. Um, it also reminds me of Home, a unique horror adventure, which was my game of the year in, like, 2012 or whenever it came out. Um, very similar to those. And I so I, it was like $3 on the PSN on a sale. And at the same time, it was on sale on Switch for like $4. So it's been cheap. I don't know if it's still on sale at the time of recording, but it was. So I picked it up cheap. Um, it came out in March of 2018. So it's been out for about a year. Um, I picked it up and I started playing it. And the game, um, it kind of doesn't do a very good job of setting up its story. Like, I'm just going to say that like right off the bat because... You start playing as one character. You're like a guy. I cannot remember his name. You, like, start out in a convenience store because, like, you and your girlfriend got in a fight or something. And he walks up to the... You make him walk up to the the counter of the convenience store. And he's, like... He, I guess he's, like, friends with the guy that works at the convenience store. So he's talking to him. And it's very text-based. And I was not expecting this about the game. Like, you're in a conversation... Um, every person has a line of dialogue and then occasionally you can, you have like a dialogue tree that you can respond to. And that's also something I was not expecting. So not only are you reading a lot of text, you're actually saying different things. And I don't know if those have any like long-term effects on the game. I don't know if this is like a mass effect, like renegade paragon thing. I don't think it is, but, um, cause most of the inputs are basically like different versions of the same thing, more or less. 
So you start talking to this guy. Um, as you're talking to him, you notice that there's a guy in the back of the convenience store that kind of like looks like he's zoning out a little bit. So you go and you end up like picking up some stuff in the convenience store to buy. I know this game sounds thrilling right now. We're talking about buying stuff in a convenience store. Um, it's a 7-Eleven simulator. I'm there. Yes. Um, so you're going, you, you go, you pick up your stuff in the back of the store. And whenever you're in the back of the store, you hear something like crash in the front of the store. You go back to the front of the store. The guy who was like zoning out apparently like had some kind of seizure. And the guy who was working at the front desk or at the, the cash register is like, holding the guy and kind of like has his hand in his mouth so he doesn't swallow his tongue that's apparent that's what they say in the game is like the reason why so and you know it's a horror game so of course i'm like oh god this guy's probably gonna turn into a zombie he's gonna bite his hand off whatever and keep in mind this is all like really kind of like low-res retro pixel based so it's not like super you don't like detailed see like his hand in his mouth or whatever so he tells you, he's like, go to the back room. There's a phone in the back uh, in the back room. Call the police. Like, we need to get somebody out here. So you go to the back room. Um, you go, you call the police. You're on the phone with the, like, the 911 operator. And then you get, you get into another kind of dialogue tree thing. And it's like, you're talking to the operator. You have different options on what you want to say. Um, she can ask you questions. And you can kind of, like, override them and be like, no, we don't have time. Like, get somebody out here. And then whenever you hang up the phone, you hear, like, a bunch of crashing noises coming from the convenience store, which is scary. And you go out there, and I'm not going to say what happens at the end of it, but effectively, this guy's story kind of comes to a close, and it moves on to the next chapter in which you are playing as a different character. So, at, oh, yes. So at this point, I don't know if the game is broken up a, a, among a bunch of chapters that all feature different characters because I haven't played enough of it yet to figure that out. Um, if it's doing kind of like a mini like Silent Hill thing where it's like every chapter is a different character in a different like setting in the same city. Um, and so you get to you play as like in the second part, this sort of like researcher guy and some kind of like lab. And he goes, he's like talking to two other researchers and they characterize the researchers really well because there's, again, a lot of text. I was not expecting a lot of dialogue in this game and there is a lot of it. And you're talking to like these two researchers and like the, the female researcher is very like direct and she kind of seems like she has maybe like, maybe she's like on the spectrum in a sense because she like doesn't have a lot of... Um, like notice of the other people's social cues or like the emotions. She's very like direct and kind of like, kind of just like kind of direct and like aggressive a little bit, um, but in kind of a strange way. And so you end up going into this, like, it's really weird. It's like a recording studio and you like play the piano and I still have no idea what the significance is of the game, but you like have the guy play the piano and he passes out and then he wakes up and like all hell has kind of broken loose in this research station since he like passed out playing the piano. And then in a move that I kind of was not expecting, the game kind of turns into a very um, like adventure gamey thing where you have to like pick up things in the environment and kind of like use them in really obtuse ways in other parts of the environment. Okay, that's that's what I was waiting for you to get to. That's kind of what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, and that's, like, not what I... I mean, I'm not surprised that it's there, but it's not what I was expecting. Like, I thought it was going to be more of, like, a straightforward, like, side-scroller horror game because Un Uncanny Valley is very much like that. Like, 
it's it's kind of roguelike-ish because you can die and then you start the game over again, but you can like do branching paths to figure out things to do in the game. Like changes a little bit here and there in Uncanny Valley, and I like Uncanny Valley. I just want to make that clear. And like Home, a unique horror adventure, it's like pretty linear. Like you're kind of walking through these environments. You're you play as a guy who has amnesia and he's kind of like recollecting his memories as he goes back through the environments. But this game, um, the long reach is it gets to a point where it becomes really adventure gamey, and it's like. I don't do well with these kind of games because what happens, and this is also something that happened um, in, oh my God, I can't remember the name of it now, but um, in that game that you and I both loved where you play as like the battle suit that crashes and you're the AI in the oh, suit. Um, I can totally see it in my head. It is, <laughs> oh, uh, God the damn long, it. The, fa- the fall. The, the fall. fall, yes. it's Because uh, the fall did a similar thing where there's like segments where it's these weird kind of like adventure gamey things where you have to like do stuff that like doesn't entirely make sense. And what I do in those situations is if I have something in my inventory, I go to everything I can possibly use it on and I just start clicking things and trying to use it on yeah, something because it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, I, that sucks. I don't like that. Yeah. And so I wasn't really expecting that here. Like for example, there's a section early on where like you go up to an elevator and one thing I like about this game, I mean, there's, there's stuff I like about it. This isn't the only thing I like about it is that anything you can interact with, as soon as you walk up to it in the background, it like there's kind of like a yellow or like a gold like outline that appears over it. So it lets you know what you can interact with, which is nice because you're not just randomly running around trying to click on everything. Um, and it's not like a point and click mouse type adventure. Like you're literally moving the character with the D-pad and there's like a, you hold like R1 to run and stuff like that. Um, and like there's an elevator and like the, one of the like the switches is pulled off of the outside of the elevator and there's like sparks coming out of it and you have to find there's like a some kind of like rubber it's like a dog toy or something that you find in the environment <laughs> and oh god you oh i know god. just wait and then I don't like, like where this is going it's like not going anywhere good and so like you have to take the dog toy and go to a vending machine that has been busted out, like the the glass is broken on the vending machine. You have to use the dog toy on the vending machine in order to like cut a piece out of it. Oh God, I knew you were gonna say that. And then you take the dog toy back to the elevator and he like puts it over the switch because it's like rubber, so it won't, um, the electricity won't go through it. And then you like use that as a switch. And eventually you gain access to, like, two other floors. So you have three floors to move around on in this research facility. And, like, there's genuinely some interesting stuff that happens. Like, at a certain point, you run into another character, and he's kind of, like, doing these, like, kind of, like, rambling about this weird stuff, and you don't really know what he's talking about. And you have to, like, figure out, like, how to get him something that he wants and figure out, like, what's going to happen. And you're also kind of worried that, like, maybe he'll kill you because he's kind of, like, crazy. Um, But it's, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, Whenever, like, say, like, the whole, the game as a whole so far reminds me of, like, whenever the hell portal opens on Earth in the Doom games and, like, the, the monsters start coming out, like, this is sort of, like, your everyday guy who's not on a Mars research facility, who's not a super soldier, like, as soon as that stuff, like, that hell demon stuff kind of starts affecting the environment, that's kind of, like, what this is. It's, like, a weird sort of, like, stepping stone to, like, maybe what Doom would become. And this game has nothing in, like, no, it's not affiliated with Doom at all. It just kind of reminds me of that. Um, You know, because, like, weird stuff is happening and there's some weird kind of, like, 
semi-hellish culty stuff happening and like the people that are on the base are kind of going crazy a little bit some of them are violent and like you can die and checkpoint um but as so far uh, as up to where i've been i have not gotten any weapons or anything so there's no combat yet i don't know if there's combat later um but like i kind of played it up to a point where i just couldn't figure out what to do and like part of it is on me because like i'm an idiot and i don't really know the like these kind of games that well like i said i'm the kind of person that will just like take every item in my inventory and try to use it on everything in the environment i can use it on until something clicks and then i can move forward um and i just like kind of can't figure out what to do and to make matters worse i i like was kind of similarly to how I felt with Overtime, the first game I talked about, I was kind of like, I mean, the game's not bad. I was just like so unmoved by it that I couldn't be bothered to like look up a strategy guide or anything online. I was just like, you know, I kind of don't really want to play this. I don't know what to do. I'm kind of bored. But eventually I was like, you know, it's not that bad of a game. It's got like good atmosphere. I kind of like what it's doing. So, okay, like I, I can take three minutes to Google the game and like look up a strategy guide or something. And then something happened and this has happened before i don't think i've ever mentioned this on the show something that bothers the hell out of me so i go to look up a strategy guide for this game all i want all i want is it too much to ask for all i want is like a nice text document that says here's the things to do i don't even care if the text is embellished because i can scroll through and i can find where i am i can find where to go as far as i can tell and i might be wrong about this there exists nothing of the sort on the internet. However, whenever I Googled this game and Googled walkthrough or guide or whatever, about 100 search results for YouTube videos came up where people are playing through the game. And I, under very limited circumstances, and this is not one of those, I do not want to watch someone else play a game on YouTube in order to figure out how I need to play it. I don't, I know it's, it's, like, you get to see them do it so you can do it. But I don't want to have to open up a YouTube video, watch a 15-second ad, and then scroll through the video to try to find the exact place I am where they are and then watch them play through it with probably stupid, like, their commentary where they're like, oh, I'm so scared, oh, whatever. Like, I don't want any of that. I just want a text document that, outlet that like lays the game out for me that tells me where to go or divides it up into chapters or whatever and i could not find that and i was not gonna watch someone play through this game on youtube so that i could figure out how to play through it because i know all that would do would lead me down the slippery slope of me every step of the way not knowing how to figure the next thing out so i'd have to go back to the youtube video and then watch that section and then i would do it and then i would go back to the video and watch that section <laughs> and at this point i might as well just watch the whole fucking youtube video yeah, and not even yeah. play it at all and yeah. like i'm not about that life i'm not a twitch streaming watcher i'm not a youtube game watcher like if you like that that's totally fine i know streaming is like all the rage right now but i don't like watching other people play video games and i don't like having to watch someone else play a video game because i'm too stupid to figure out how to play my own video game which is the real root of the problem here so I just gave up and I stopped playing it. And I, I just, I, I want to like this game. I thought it was going to be my jam. I thought it was going to be like Uncanny Valley. I thought it was going to be like home. And I genuinely think that if this is your kind of game, if this is your jam where you're kind of down for like a slightly obtuse adventure thing, if you like 2D horror, um, you know, if you're kind of into like a little bit more text stuff, because I was not expecting there to be so much dialogue in this game, then I think this is probably a well-made game. But unfortunately, there's just like too many things 
that it strikes out on that I don't like that I just gave up and stopped playing it. Uh, again, we come to that whole... I mean, it, I don't want this to sound wrong, but it's like that whole... The barrier for me to keep going has to be... like It's like it's like a balancing. It's like a scales, you know? Like, it really if your is. Game is. Yeah, if your game is fucking awesome... Like I will, I will put out an equal level of effort to kind of match how much awesomeness you're giving me. <laughs> but if a game is just kind of like, oh, it's okay. Like I'm only going to put out that much effort. And it sounds like we've been covering games that have been like, not that great, but they want you to put out more effort than the coolness that they're giving you. I know that's kind of a weird thing and probably sounds kind of like shitty and hipster or whatever, but like, I just kind of, it's like this equation in my head, you know, like if it's like, I'm enjoying myself, then I will go to the mat. But if it's just like, eh, I'm just playing this just to kill some time, I don't want to like I and, and, and honestly, dude, I feel you so hard with the video thing, because most of the time that I need to look up a walkthrough, you know, thank the thank the gaming gods that there's some text piece that I can just look up real quick, because I just like you for damn sure don't want to watch somebody. And what's even worse than that, what's even worse than having to look up a video of someone telling you how to get past that part is when you look up a fucking video and it's the person who filmed it trying to figure it out for themselves for the very first time. So they don't even know, like they'll eventually get there. There'll be like 27 minutes and in, and in 26 minutes and 30 seconds, they will figure out the puzzle. But like, if you're going to post a video for God's sake, just show me the piece that is I'm stuck on or like, you know, label it like puzzle for, you know, puzzle solution for level one puzzle solution, like label it. So I can, I mean, I I don't want to watch it, but I will, if I have to, but I am not going to watch half an hour of you fucking fumbling and dying and resetting and dying and resetting and dying and resetting. And then like, you know, an hour later you get to the part that I'm stuck on. That shit drives me bananas, dude. I just, I start raging and it's fucking awful. Like I can't stand it. So I feel you hard on that. And as for the rest, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it kind of, you, you kind of got me intrigued a little bit when you were talking about it, but I'm definitely not, an adventure gamer in the sense of like use the glue to get the cat hair to make a mustache and that kind of shit. <laughs> Not a fan of that stuff. When you start talking about the dog toy and the broken glass, I was like, Oh no, 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 no. So, I mean, I already own it. I could fire it up at any time. Probably won't. Um, but I guess if some night when I'm feeling like I got it, I, I don't know if I look at an FAQ or something, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. It, it was, it seemed kind of interesting, but maybe not my jam. So, we shall see. So you're done with it, right? Yeah, I mean, I there's like a slim chance I might go back and try it one more time, but it's just a little too obtuse for me. And I, I mean, like I, like I said, I wanted to like this game, but it's just got too many things going on that are not for me. So, I mean, the good news is I only paid like three bucks for it, so it, it was cheap. It, you know, I'd be mad if it were like twenty dollars or whatever, but it was cheap. I gave it a shot, but it's just not for me. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. All right, let's move on to the final game of the show. The grand um, finale, oh my the God. The grand finale, yes. And it's a big one. Excuse me, taking a sip of water here to get ready for this. <laughs> uh, Mortal Kombat 11 is now out. This long-running series has just been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Finally hit uh, number 11. I guess, Corey, before I launch into it, what's, just really briefly, uh, what's your... your capsule experience with Mortal Kombat? Um, I played, I mean, everybody played Mortal Kombat back, like, the first one whenever it was out with, like, the ridiculous 
kind of photorealistic real actors in the game that only had a roster of like eight characters. Um, was it like the Sega Genesis that it debuted on? Is that right? It was Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo, but the Genesis was the only one that had Red Blood, I believe, on the Super Nintendo. It was like white sweat instead of like <laughs> Red Blood. It was pretty stupid. Yeah, Genesis was the way to go on that one. Yeah, I played it on Genesis, and I played, I think I played most of them up until a certain point, because I played, you know, the original, I played two, I played three, and if I'm not mistaken, there was like a three ultimate version or something that had a roster of like 6,000 characters. And I think four on Nintendo 64, if I'm not mistaken, is where I left off because I've never been a big fighting game guy. And I played them a lot whenever I was younger because there wasn't, you know, we weren't spoiled with games like we are now. We only had X amount of games to play back then and they were fun. And I just played them with like neighbor friends and whatever. Um, you know, and had strategy guides that tried to show me all of the 600 button presses you had to do to do the perfect fatality at the end of every match that I could never, ever put in on time. Um, but I think Mortal Kombat 4 around the N64 era is whenever I gave up. And I sort of like, my tastes went in a different direction than fighting games as I got older. And I really have never been interested in a fighting game since the last fighting game I think I played was like Virtual Fighter 4. Um, and I, I mean, fighting games, just, it's kind of like sports games, like fighting games. Just, I don't really like them. I don't like sports games. Don't ever see myself playing it. Um, so that's kind of my my, uh, I don't know, history with Mortal Kombat. All right. Fair enough. Um, as for me, started, I mean, I played Mortal Kombat number one back in the arcade. It was a genuine sensation. Had those cheapy, like you said, digitized actors. Um, that game sucked. It just straight up sucked. <laughs> Uh, it was not a good game, but it had the gore that was shocking people. I mean, it made quite a stir, made many waves. People were aghast. Parents were concerned. And, it, you know, it really cashed in on that that vibe um, to good effect. Uh, Mortal Kombat 2, I think, was better, more playable. Uh, played that a fair amount. Played a fair amount of, of Mortal Kombat 2, um, more than one. Uh, and then, I, you know, I think I've played them all, but, like, I've never really, like, been into them. Like, it's never been my jam. It's never been my my go-to. I have played a significant amount of fighting games, but, I mean, I was Street Fighter uh, all the way. Not no, I mean, Mortal Kombat couldn't even touch how much I played Street Fighter, and I played quite a bit of Street Fighter. Uh, also really liked Tekken. I got really, really into Tekken for a long time. That was my jam for a long time. Uh, but I've played everything, Soul Calibur and all that stuff. So I played, I played them all. I'm not great anymore. I don't have the time or the reflexes or the energy or the interest to really like become a pro at fighting games anymore. But I still dabble in them. I still think it's fun to just you know take each character through the story mode once and then call it good or something like that. I mean, I still do that once in a while. So um, Mortal Kombat took a real turn with Mortal Kombat Nine. That was the one where they really stepped it up. They the graphics were great. Um, they had a legit fighting engine for realsies um, that didn't rely on dialogue combos and a bunch of crap like that. Um, that was the one that had like the breakthrough story mode where there was like this like basically a feature film that you played through and like you did these little fights at certain intervals. Uh, great, wonderful story mode. Um, that was really the breakthrough turning point uh, for Mortal Kombat as far as I'm concerned. Mortal Kombat came out. Mortal Kombat 10 came out and that was okay. I didn't really get too much into it. But now Mortal Kombat 11 is here. And I got to say, I think this is probably the best they've ever done. 
Um, it is a genuinely impressive game on like every level. And I think that they have the right to hold their heads up in a proud way and to be, you know, to, to show off what they've done, the work they've put into it. This is a pretty stupendous game. Um, a couple of asterisks, which I will get to in a minute, but let me talk about the good stuff first. So Mortal Kombat 11, just like the other Mortal Kombats, uh, has a bunch of ninjas and martial artists and military people all kind of coming together. Has another story mode. The story mode is great. It is, again, like a two-hour or three-hour feature film. The production values, I cannot even describe how good the production values are. The people in this game, not only do they look like real people, but they look cool and they look good. Like, whenever you have real people in a game... It looks shitty and weird. Um, and I mean like motion capture. It's not It's not digitized. It's not uh, like that. It's like real people motion captured and then put into video game form. It usually looks like, you know, okay at best. But wow, these guys have completely stepped it up. I mean, this is the best I've ever seen real people looking in any game ever. Like they look and move properly. The eyes are good. And when they're in their suits, like in their ninja suits or when they're in their military suits and stuff... Like, they legit look cool. Like, they don't look st like stupid people dressed up in a dumb costume. They look like... I'm like, damn, these guys look like badasses. Like, they look, like, really good. Very impressive. Story mode is great. Loved all the twists and turns. It's basically like the ongoing soap opera saga of the Mortal Kombat, uh, where they have taken bits and pieces from the series over the years and stitched it all together into one cohesive story, which in itself is pretty impressive. Uh, but they have enhanced the characterization they've brought in some stuff from the past they had a cool idea the hook this time around i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say the hook this time is time travel and so i'm not going to you know get into it any further than that but i will say they use the idea of time travel as a way not only to shake up the story mode and shake up the game itself but to have many many cool moments in the story where an older version of a character that fans may remember will come back and visit the newer version um, for example, Johnny Cage is one of the, the series mainstays. He's kind of like a Hollywood star actor who can also fight. Uh, and back in the day, he was kind of like a weirdo, like cocaine sniffing douchebag. And just he was just not very likable. And over the course of the last couple of games, he has matured into like more of a father figure. And so to see those two versions of the same character together, talking to each other and interacting together. And that was kind of a treat. Like the writers really had fun with that. And it was really cool. Um, same for other versions of other characters, like some characters started good and they turned evil, some started evil, then they turned good, and then putting them side by side and seeing how they react to each other is really great, and like the confusion that ensues, and are you the good one or the evil one, I don't know, what do you think, and then they fight, and then all this, you know, like it's just crazy, like it's crazy, but it's crazy in like the best possible sense, like it's goofy fun, it's like watching, I don't know, the WWE or wrestling or something, or like a soap opera, telenovela, something like that, it's along those lines, like you can't take it totally seriously, but the writers are actually doing a really good job of keeping their shit together. And I enjoyed the story mode a lot. So that was a real high point. Like that a lot. As far as the characters, I mean, it controls better than it's ever controlled. Like, the, it's really, really dialed in. Um, it's not as mechanical and stiff feeling as Mortal Kombat has felt in the past. The combos are more manageable. The special moves feel like they're on point. How you pull them off it feels good in your hands to do it character variety is great each character has at least like at least two probably more like four different variations so like for example um you can take like one of the ninja scorpion is my favorite and he's famous for like his spear and he's firing he's kind of undead 
in one version he can swing a spear around in another version he will blow fire and so like and he'll have a couple different variations too so you can choose which one fits your style better and the thing that's even better than that is they give you the option to customize your fighter so if you like like if you like scorpion's spear move but you don't like his dagger move and you're like eh, i wish i could do something else they give you a blank scorpion and then you can plug in the special moves that you actually want so from all of his repertoire you can be like oh well i want this one and I like this one, and this combo's good, and then you put them together, and then you have a guy that is totally exactly like what you want, which I think is awesome, because I put together a custom Scorpion this morning, and I was super happy with how he turned out. I had all my favorite moves on him, and then he had some of his staple moves, and you can change uh, their looks a little bit. So that was really great. I think the customization is really awesome. Um, tons of stuff to get through, like tons of content, like there's stuff to unlock, tons of stuff to unlock, tons of, I mean, you can do the story mode with everybody, you can do this like um, an individual story mode or like the one cohesive story mode. There's also like all these other side modes that you can do. Like there's tons and tons and tons of content and that's not even counting like the online shit. So, I mean, it's just so impressive. It feels great. It looks great. It sounds great. The writing is great. I mean, everything about this is great. And like, honestly, like it looks so good. Like when, when I was playing this, uh, my wife, Gina walked through the room like, she literally stopped, and she's like, oh, my God, like, what's that? Like, she had no idea what it was. Like, it looked so good. Like, it stunned her, literally stunned her in her tracks. She had to stop and find out what this game was because it looked so fucking amazing. Uh, and it does. It really genuinely does. I mean, this is the slickest. I mean, if there was such a thing as quadruple A production values, this would be it. Like, it's beyond triple A. So they, they spared no expense, and it shows. And, I mean, I just... I'm trying to think of another game that has the level of polish and the level of production on it, and it's just kind of like in a class all by itself. Uh, pretty fucking amazing work uh, being done here. So, plays great, tons of content, I like it, design is on point, everything about it is really good. Uh, total recommendation, but there are a couple of asterisks like I mentioned. Um, so, the first one is after this game launched, there started being some talk about people who were on the project saying oh my god i'm glad this is over they worked me like a dog i had to put in like a jillion hours of overtime i haven't seen my family in six months crunch 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 and so that kind of took some of the luster off it i mean it hasn't been as prevalent as like what was happening after red dead redemption 2 or some of the other recent games but to that it was happening at all is really sad and awful and i really wish that developers would find a way to to make a good game without killing their employees um so that kind of took some luster off it and i i haven't investigated the full extent of that and to be honest it doesn't seem as bad and i know also not like this is excuse i'm not making an excuse for anybody but i know that like a lot of games even most games go through crunch periods so i'm not excusing it and i'm not saying it's okay but I just, you know, I don't know, I don't know what to do with that, right? Because, like, I'm enjoying the game. I think the game is awesome. Clearly, this took a lot of man hours to put together. I mean, no doubt. But, I mean, it, it does make me feel kind of bad to like it so much if, indeed, people did crunch themselves into oblivion and, you know, wasn't there at the birth of my son because I was crunching about this extra DLC thing. And, I mean, I don't know, dude. I don't know. But, I mean, that's something to be aware of. So that's one issue that may potentially harsh um, somebody's glow. The other thing I think is a little bit more black and white. Uh, Ronda Rousey, are you? I was hoping you were going to bring this up. Okay, this is the other. <laughs> this is the other asterisk. I'm glad that you know about this, or you can chip in on this. So I'm not super familiar with her. I don't follow like MMA uh, or anything like that. So I'm not like really like in that world. But I've heard her name. I know she's done a lot for MMA and is a very well known 
female fighter, but she's also been in the news for making a lot of transphobic comments about a fellow fighter. Uh, and also she, I mean, I'm guessing is a very conservative person because she has been uh, on record as supporting um, this, the Sandy Hook kind of thing where a bunch of kids got killed in an elementary school. She's one of the people who's like a denier saying that it's all a Democrat hoax. And there's like parents in that neighborhood who like lost children, like the, there's dead bodies, there's proof. And she's one of the people who says it never happened. And that was like a very, very popular uh, Republican talking point for a while. They were saying that it never happened, like it was a, it was a farce. So if she's the kind of person that supports that kind of stuff, that's bullshit. And I don't know why, I don't know why the developers wanted her on board for this because that's shit that we should not be supporting. On top of the fact, she's not a very good voice actor. She plays Sonya Blade, who is one of the most uh, iconic female fighters in the fighting game community. I mean, uh, everybody knows Sonya Blade, and she doesn't do a great job with the voice. I mean, it's it's not ear bleeding. But she stands out from the rest of the cast as being like, uh, what's going on with her? Because she sounds weird and it doesn't really go with the rest of the cast. So she's not a convincing voice actor. Everybody else sounds great, by the way. Um, and I guess they're fans of her, but I don't know why they brought her in because supporting that shit is shit. And I don't support that other stuff. Now, there's one more caveat also, uh, but I'll bring that up in a second. Did you want to comment on either... Uh, crunch time or ronda rousey um i i don't have anything to add that you haven't said about the rousey situation um but the crunch time thing the only thing i want to say about crunching is that the thing that i find consistently interesting is that every time you hear about one of these studios and like you said it's like happening well i think the thing about crunching is that it's been happening for so long but lately it's just getting publicized a lot more because there are sites like waypoint is a big site that like is really and like Kotaku are doing a lot of like in um, in depth like interviews about bad working conditions. Like pretty much any time a AAA game comes out, like two weeks later, there's a big news story that's like, "Hey, the working conditions at the studio are absolutely awful, and we need to do something about it." And there's like a huge um, like push to unionize the game industry, which I believe in because that will help them have better working conditions, have better benefits, have better hours, and like you know be able to not die for making a sixty dollar video game. Um, but something that I think is interesting is that I've heard over and over again, because a lot of people are like, well, what's the answer to this? Like, what do we do? What what should we do as consumers or what should we do as people? And I mean, a lot of people immediately jump on like, oh, we'll just boycott the game. Like that'll, that'll show them, you know, just don't buy the game, don't publicize it. But in interviews that I've read about the situation, I've actually read like developers say that that's actually like not the right thing to do. Like, I mean, technically the right thing to do is like to fight for like unionizing and for labor laws and stuff like that. But like not buying the game doesn't really help anybody in this scenario. So like it's better to like spend the money on the game and to like support the studio financially, but also to like make sort of like a kerfluffle about the union laws and about labor laws and about that kind of stuff. Um, Cause it's easy whenever we don't like something to say vote with your wallet and then, you know, just don't, don't buy it if you don't support it. But from some of the interviews I've read, um, that's actually not the right thing to do. And that's coming from developers who have crunched, who have been miserable and that kind of stuff. It's not just like the studio head saying, oh, buy our game, even though we have bad working conditions. So um, I would say, I mean, coming from the stuff I've read that I trust, like buying the game is definitely still the right thing to do. But maybe if you buy the game, you should also like, I don't know, uh, start 
tweeting about working conditions or write to the companies or, um, you know, find like the game workers unions and see what you can do to support them or donate money or something like that might be more of the right thing to do. But apparently boycotting is not the answer here. So um, that's kind of good news, I guess. I mean, I guess, I mean, and we're not going to solve this right here. I mean, I feel like we should, if we're, I mean, this is like a whole separate topic and we should, you know, honestly get a couple developers on the show or something if we really wanted to d- dive deep into this. Um, so we don't have the answers. I don't have the answer. I don't know what the right thing to do is. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you don't buy the game, then just all those people get laid off and then like they're out of a job. I mean, that's not good either. So, I mean, I think that maybe like what you're saying, buy the game, but then also mention it. I mean, I'm, I'm full disclosure. I'm reviewing this game. I was provided this game for free from uh, the PR for Mortal Kombat. And also, full disclosure, I do know a couple of people at NetherRealm Studios who make this game. I am personal friends with a couple of them, so full disclosure on that as well. Um, But I think that maybe, you know, when I do review it, I I, I definitely will bring up those two issues and say, you know, this is a great game, good job, but also, like, these are the things that you fucked up on, and, you know, maybe calling it out will be enough to help push the conversation in that direction. And people on Twitter, I've seen a couple people... Uh, like Danielle uh, Rendo over at uh, Waypoint has written an article about having Ronda Rousey involved. I believe there was another uh, trans writer as well. Her name escapes me at the moment. I apologize for that. I think her name is Heather, I think. Um, Wrote another article. So people writing articles is really great and also about the work conditions too. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know the right answer. We're not going to solve it today, but that's something I wanted to bring up. Um, The other thing I wanted to bring up is that there is... A lot of content in this game. There's, like, new weapons for every character, new outfits, new skins. Um, There's, like, a whole, like, upgrade system. Like, it's a really massive game, and there's a lot to dig into. And to be perfectly frank with you, I'm only just now beginning to kind of wrap my my head around everything that's involved. Because you can play it in a very casual sense, play through the story mode, play a couple characters and be done. But if you want to get more out of it, there's, like, like an ocean of content here to get into. Um, But the thing, the third asterisk, is that... There's kind of a big kerfuffle going on right now, uh, to seal your word, I like that word, Uh uh, in the community about a couple of things. So, in one sense, NetherRealm is getting some heat from uh, everyone's favorite internet assholes because they're saying that the women have been SJW'd, like they're clothed uh, with too many clothing, too many clothing pieces, and they're not as sexy. And so, I mean, to that I say fuck off. That's not even really a discussion to me, but I feel bad that the developers are taking, I mean, I guess some heat from that or people are pushing back. I mean, they got review bombed pretty hard on Metacritic. Like the, the critic score was like 82 and the user score was something like two or something ridiculous like that because people were trying to make a big stink about it. But if you're like one of those people, fuck off. Um, the other thing, which I think is probably more justifiable is that with all of the content in the game, you can't just play the story mode and unlock it real quickly. Like it's like, there's kind of a, free-to-play-ish system that's underneath the fighting uh, where there you play through these other modes to kind of get like random rewards and then these rewards can sometimes be a consumable or a currency there's like four different currencies and then there's a bunch of different consumables that you can use in these specific modes where basically they just want you to grind there's like daily daily quests there's like uh, character specific quests there's time-sensitive quests that you can do to kind of, you know, I get it. They want you to keep coming back to the game. They want you to play the game every day. Every game wants that these days. Everybody wants game of service. Everybody wants you to be married to your one game. Um, I don't think that works as well. And to be frank, I'm not a completist. I'm not going to unlock all this stuff. So it didn't bother me that much because I'm just not going to engage. I never would have anyway. But if you are a completist or if you are a person who wants to get 
100% out of this game, uh, it's it's going to be tough to do. I, I was seeing some people, and this may be bullshit, but they were saying that if you played through and tried to unlock it randomly, it would take you like, I don't know, like five years of constant play to unlock everything. And the developers have come out and said that you cannot just buy your way to everything. They said that you have to play the game, which I think is great. Um, and they've also just put out a patch which adjusts some of the rewards to make it quicker to grind through. But I just don't want to grind anyway. And I think that once I'm done playing the game, I'll just be done. And that's, it's not going to get me coming back. And for people who do want to unlock all that stuff, it seems like they have uh, put out a pretty tough row ahead of them to hoe. So it may be more grindy than people like. The rewards may be more random than people like. It may not be as easy to get that stuff done, which I know makes a lot of people unhappy. Um, so I suspect they're probably going to patch that a couple more times. One patch is already out. I bet there's going to be a couple more. And it seems like it's a pretty unreasonable amount of stuff for somebody to like actually unlock. But then again, maybe you just unlock it for your person, or maybe you just don't get everything. I mean, I know that's not what everybody wants to hear, but I mean, I looked at this and I'm like, no fucking way, dude. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play till I'm done and I'm done. I'm not gonna like, <laughs> I'm not gonna kill myself for this game. So that's another asterisk. A couple asterisks. Um, I wish they weren't there, but they're there. But otherwise, Mortal Kombat 11 is a pretty fucking awesome game. I mean, everything about it is top notch. They don't come any better than this. It's the best the series has ever been. And these characters are fucking cool. And I'm just, I'm pretty into it. I really like it a lot. So hopefully we will find some resolution for these asterisks. But uh, there you go. That is my attempt at the fairest possible coverage I can muster on this very given day. I have a really probably dumb question. Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. So coming from me, who is somebody who uh, like I said earlier, I don't really play fighting games. Um, you raved about the story mode of this game. And I I kind of, because I don't play these games, I don't really understand how this story mode works. So do you, like, watch a cutscene, do a one-on-one -on -one fight, watch a cutscene, do a one-on-one -on -one fight, and that's, like, the whole game? Or is there more to it? When you are in the the central story mode... Yes. So what happens is, like, if you've... Did you did you play Mortal Kombat 9? I forget if you mentioned if you played it. No, nah. Okay, so here's what you should do. Rent Mortal Kombat 9 <laughs> from from Gamefly. And just play the story mode. Don't play. Don't even bother with the rest of it, right? So just get that. What happens is they they take all the mythology of the game, stitch it into a story, and yeah, you just watch, like, a cutscene. And stuff happens, stuff happens, stuff happens. They do a wonderful job of setting it all up. But then in, it's not just, like the game cuts away to a fight. It's like the people that you're watching all of a sudden kind of like start to fight and then you just keep going with it. So it's like very, it's meshed in there naturally. And if you see the, the transitions in Mortal Kombat 11, it's fucking amazing where like two people are talking and then they're just fighting. Like there's no loading, there's no cutting away. Like it just, they just start fighting and it's like, holy shit, that looked fucking great. Um, but yeah, you just watch the cutscene. The story will bring people together for whatever reason. You usually play like three or four matches with one character. You see their particular part of the story, and then you switch to a different character. You see their part of the story, do three or four fights, switch to a different character, and then you eventually get to the end of the story mode. You don't go through everybody because Mortal Kombat has like, I don't know, like 25 characters or something. You usually play through like 12 characters, and then that's the end of the story mode, and then you're done. So it's really well done. It's very, it's very entertaining. It's like watching a movie where you just fight once in a while, and you can put it to like very easy where basically all you got to do is just like smash the A button or the square button or whatever and just get through the fights and just go to the next cutscene. Um, but it's very well done. It's very good. I really enjoy it a lot. And 
for people like yourself who are not fighting in pros, and I'm not a pro either by any stretch of the imagination, um, I really do want to give a shout out to Mortal Kombat 11. They have the most expansive fucking tutorials I've ever seen in a fighting game, which is something I think most fighting games really fall down on. They expect a lot of their audience to keep coming back year after year, and a lot of them really skimp on the tutorials, which is a problem, because if you can't teach people how to play your game, you're not going to get new people to play your game. Like, it's a pretty high wall to get over. But they fucking break it down. They, they're like, move forward, move back, jump. This is your punch. This is your other punch. And this is a combo. And this is how you duck. And this is, I mean, from, from that level of simplicity where it's like, I don't know how to control this character. This is how you control it. All the way into, like, frame cancels and, like, counting, um, you know, like, different pauses in the game and, like, how to, like, um, you know, fake from one move into another and, like, all this other shit where I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, way too much. I don't want to know any of this stuff. <laughs> but if you want to get that granular, and some people do, like, they have it all there for you. Like, they go into every single character has a tutorial. Every fucking level of the game, from beginning to expert, there's a tutorial for everything. And I tried to get through it all, and it was too much tutorial for me. Like, it was too much, but that's awesome. Because if I was the kind of guy that was really going to get into this game and, like, really devote some time to it, I would want those resources. Like, I mean, there's more information than I can handle, which is great because usually they don't have a tutorial of any kind. And that's just not the way to go. So the tutorial in this one is amazing, uh, covering literally every aspect of every part of the game. And so hats off to that. That's a great, great addition. Very glad to see that. I hope they stick with that in the future. But um, yeah, man, get the get the MK9, get like 9, 10, 11, just play through the story modes. It's a really fun ride. It's really crazy and really just nuts. And it's a good time. I might have to try this for the sake of something I haven't played before. Because to me, it sounds incredibly silly. Like, fight someone, watch a cutscene, fight someone, watch a cutscene. Oh, cut and it scene. is. It is. It is very silly. Like, but, but like so silly that I would think it's like not cool. Like, I don't, I don't see myself liking this. But, you know, maybe I will have to put something on my game for IQ and see. Um... I don't know. I'm skeptical about this because I haven't been into fighting games in a very, very long time. But maybe I'll have to give it a shot down the road and see what I think about it. Give it a shot. Mortal Kombat 9. Start at the beginning. That's where it got good. You can play through the story mode in a couple hours. You don't need barely any skill to get through the story mode. Just see what you think. It, I bet it's going to be cooler than you think it is. You may not love it, but I bet it'll be better than you think it is. Which didn't they do? Was it prior to nine where they did the Mortal Kombat DC game? What that was a thing, right? Yeah, Mortal Kombat versus DC was a game. They also did Injustice and Injustice Two, which take only DC characters and kind of put them in the same sort of mechanics that Mortal mm, Kombat uses. Okay. I was not the biggest fan of those because I'm just not much of a DC guy in general. But I mean, those were solid games. I mean, they're not bad games. Uh, but I like Mortal Kombat better than I like DC, and uh, yeah, MK9 was where they really turned a corner. Quality of everything just really took a big step up at that point, so that's where I would say. Uh, not only for you, but for anybody listening, um, if you're curious about this, you want to get in on Mortal Kombat, you want to see what it's all about, start with 9, play the story mode, get 10, play the story mode, and then put your time into 11. That's what you should do. All right, roger that. Well, do you have anything else to add on Mortal Kombat 11? That is it, and I am talked out. I'm tired. <laughs> Throat is sore. We just got through some major banter. I'm ready for you to bring it home, sir. Okay, good. Yes, yes, yes. We have recorded for almost three hours. So um, after all of this, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, remember to stick around after the show music if you want to hear tonight's banter. And just because I didn't say this earlier, um, 
In tonight's banter, at the very, 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 very end of tonight's banter, the last subject we discuss, um, and we do give a warning at the time, uh, Brad and I both recently saw Avengers Endgame, which is sort of like the closure of the MCU until they start like their next big phase, the closure of basically everything that's happened from 2008 up until now. Um, we do spoil the hell out of it. We talk heavy spoilers, uh, all of it, in and out, our favorite moments, what we liked, um, everything. Um, just so heads up on that, if you're paying attention to banter, and just know that at the very, very, very end, we do go into endgame spoilers. We give a spoiler warning before we talk about endgame, and in the show notes, I will also put a, a timestamp for whenever we start talking about that stuff. So be aware, um, and it's also the very last thing we talk about. So if you don't want to listen to that and you want to skip it, you won't be missing anything else if you skip that segment. And then you can always come back to it and listen to it later after you see the movie if you want to hear us talk about it. Um, but in, uh, but that's it. Yeah, I guess um, if you want to send us any comments, any thoughts, any feedback. Um, also, Brad, I reckon, still has a long list of games that he wants to give out. So if you're interested God damn in- it. God damn what? it. What? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What? Uh, yes, yes, yes. I forgot to do that. We have three winners that I needed to announce from last week's show. Let's do that real quick. Ooh, okay. The three winners of a of PC games from last week. Cliff Goldsmith, good man Cliff Goldsmith, uh, Joel Wells, and Gabriel Romo. All three of you people will get an email from me, ASAP, about hooking you up with some free games. Um, I am not ready. I was not prepared. I totally forgot. So we're not going to give any away this episode, but we will continue next episode. I guarantee it. We've got like 200 more games to give away. So we got a shitload of games. Um, but yes, you three guys, congratulations. I will email you soon and we will do another giveaway next week. Sorry, I forgot. It's all good. Um, yeah, so stay tuned for future game giveaways. Um, but, uh, Brad will email you soon. Enjoy your games, everybody who entered so far. Um, but if you want to send us other stuff that's not game giveaway related, if you want to give us any thoughts, any feedback, any comments about the show, any games you want us to play, anything like that, you can contact us in uh, a plethora of ways. The first of which is by email. Our email address is sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Game Critics website for us every time a show goes live. There's a Game Critics page dedicated to it. Everything that gets published on Game Critics has a lovely comment section underneath it. Keep in mind, we moderate all the comments of Game Critics. So, I mean, I think, Brad, if you had to put a percentage on what gets approved, what would you say? Is it like 95% or something? Oh, yeah. I mean, unless we do a really bad review, like, uh, not a bad review, but if we're not doing, like, some review that's pissing people off, like, I would say, like, 99% of the comments get approved. But if we do, like, a, a God of War or something like that, then it's like, uh... Maybe like 25% get approved and 75% go in the trash. It just yeah. depends on how much heat we're getting at any given time. That's true. I mean, if you are if you leave a comment and it basically doesn't add anything of value to the discussion, but says like something incredibly rude or incredibly threatening, it's probably not going to get posted. But just keep in mind, we do moderate all the comments at Game Critics um, on the site specifically. Um, but the last way you can get in touch with us is uh, on Twitter. Uh, we have a collective show on Twitter. The handle is at SoVideoGames, um, spelled exactly how it sounds. And last but not least, you can reach us individually on Twitter. I would argue that that's maybe the best way to reach us, but to each their own, you can reach us anyway. Uh, Brad, would you like to give out your social media handles? Yep, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, with the same handle on both. It's uh, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. 
Excellent. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handles are also the same. They're also my first and last name for both. Um, that would be Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And that brings us to the end of episode 129. Uh, Brad, do you have anything to add before we sign off? No, except that I feel good about this show. Ordinarily, we are like <laughs> feeling bad because we go so long, but we have turned in some pretty short shows lately. So I feel like we have uh, made good on that and uh, I think atoned for our sins. What do you think? I think so too. This show is going to be probably just shy of three hours, uh, give or take. So this will be the longest one we put out in a little while. I got to be honest, I am not looking forward to editing this, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I've actually been getting a lot better at editing things quicker lately. And I don't mean getting them out faster. I just mean listening back to them faster, if that makes sense. So we're recording on Wednesday. I reckon the show will probably be up like Friday or Saturday. Um, so, but that's it. That's the end of episode 129. We'll be back uh, next week with episode 130 for your listening enjoyment. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And this is bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. Excellent. So here we are, sir, on a lovely, warm, sunny day. I know the last time we recorded, I believe I was bundled up in multiple layers and I was freezing. <laughs> and now, thanks to the power and glory of global warming, I'm like quite warm. I've got the windows open. I'm wearing a t-shirt. So in just the span of a week, we went from Arctic frigidity to, oh my God, I need some iced tea. So nothing's wrong with the world at all. It's all fine here, folks. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well. To be honest with you, before I uh, told you that I was ready to record, I've been, so I, I like would never consider myself to be someone who is taken by like musicals or musical theater. And we've probably touched on this a tiny bit before, but I, and even though it's technically not a musical, I've been listening to the A Star Is Born soundtrack like fucking crazy for the past like month. And it is so good. And every single time I listen to it, every single song gets stuck in my head. Like whatever song I left off on when I got out of my car or when I left the office or whatever, it just like is stuck in my head for the rest of the day. And so like right before we hit record, I had like a moment where I was singing into my microphone to test my levels trying to sound like Lady Gaga slash Whitney Houston at the same time. And obviously <laughs> it would not, it would obviously would sound nothing like her, but I just like, she has this ballad at the end of the movie called um, I'll never love again. And it's just like, it's so like Whitney Houston esque, but Lady Gaga and oh my God, it's so, and it's just like the perfect, like love power ballad. And every time I hear it, it's stuck in my head for the rest of the day. It's magnificent. Are you, like, singing along at full force? Like, when I'm listening to it or when yeah, I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Either way. Whenever. <laughs> I mean, I suppose. Sometimes. But, like, two octaves lower than Lady Gaga, more or less. <laughs> That's amazing. I have not seen the movie and I have not heard the soundtrack, but I know that my wife is big into musicals. She probably would eat that up. We just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. So I will uh, tell her that you have been swept away and I shall have her <laughs> bump it up a little higher on her playlist. 
Yeah, I mean, I do, honestly, I know I talked about it a little bit, like, back when I saw it, but I really do recommend it. Um, And the thing that I like about the movie is that it's technically not a musical. Like, it's a movie about musicians. It's not like they're breaking out in song and dance, like, just randomly in the middle of the street. I mean, they do, kind of, but, like, they're actual musicians, so it's more of, like, a drama where they are musicians rather than it being, like, a big cheesy musical. And... Something else that I love about it that I took for granted at the time is that and there's a certain part in the movie, and I don't think this is really going to spoil anything, where, like, because obviously the movie is about Lady Gaga's character, Allie. She's, like, swept up by this, like, country rock star who's played by Bradley Cooper, who also directed it. And he kind of, like, paves the way for her to, like, become her own musical artist. And she goes through, like, a pop phase in the movie. And the movie kind of, like, sets the pop phase up to be, like, you know, kind of like cheesy pop culture, like really throwaway sort of like R&B slash pop songs. And like the song that she sings in the movie um, to demonstrate that like is very much that. It's like a really kind of dumb song about like her finding a man sexy and like talking about like how his ass looks in his jeans and whatever. But they're like on the soundtrack, there's like two or three other songs that are like in sort of that era where they're just kind of like cheesy pop songs. And there's like one song specifically called hair body face where the whole song is about her like being around uh like her man's like guy friends and how they're like making fun of her and like kind of telling her that like she'll never amount to anything and like she'll never be like famous or whatever and then like so part of the song is about her like lamenting that like she's never going to be famous and like people kind of talking down on her and then the other part of the song is about her being like like relishing in the fact that she's like a triple threat because she has like good hair a good body and a good face and it's like the dumbest song but it is so catchy and every time i listen to it like it's in my head for the rest of the day but it's like such a such like it's just like exactly what you would expect like a throwaway pop song to be but it's so good every single time it's so stupid but it's such a good song and like the songs that are on the soundtrack demonstrate that era sort of like better than the actual song that she performs in the movie But long story short, I would highly recommend it. Um, However, I'd probably recommend it, if you guys ever watch it, to watch it without your son. Because there is kind of, like, some depressing stuff in the movie. And there's, like, a little bit of, like, sexy times in the movie. I know that, like, um, Woody is sometimes exposed to some of that stuff. But maybe not recommend it when he's around. Like, maybe after he goes to bed. But I still highly recommend it for both of you. Cool, cool. I'm I'm pretty sure it's on our want to see playlist i mean it's a pretty long list to be fair um <laughs> but it's one of the things that i think we were holding back for uh grown-up time but we have so little grown-up time i think it's probably gonna have to be like once uh once the kid you know starts getting online and starts locking himself in his room for six hours at a time is when we're gonna bust out <laughs> those movies so we've all been there we've all been through that phase his time is coming but his time is not now and because of that we uh do not have a lot of time for those movies but we shall see. I will tell her that you speak highly of it. I mean, I already know you liked it already, but I'll, I, as I am now reminded of it, <laughs> I will uh, remind her of it, and then we shall uh, see it sooner rather than later. So good. Good, good, good. Uh, excellent, excellent. You know, I have a bunch of stuff to talk about. You have a bunch of stuff to talk about? How's your how's your banter looking today? Um, I have, like, two things to talk about, one of which I am pretty sure you and I are both going to talk about, which we should maybe save till the very end. Yeah, the very end, because I know what you're going to talk about. We're probably going to spoil it. Let's make it the very last thing so people can skip it. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. What's the other thing you got? Um, I just want to talk briefly about, I say briefly, and I'll probably talk for, like, 20 minutes about it, um, because that's what we do here. Uh, Last week, 
So I probably about exactly a year ago, I kind of talked about the same situation. And uh, so like, may, if you've forgotten, I'm not going to be like offended or anything. But whenever I was in college, I took a couple of nonfiction creative writing classes. And one of them I took my freshman year and it was taught by, um, I think a female uh, like doctoral candidate. I think she was working on, no, I think she was working on her master's. I think she was a master's student. Um, and she was wonderful. I'm not going to say her name because I don't, I don't know that I just want to, I'm not going to say anything like weird about her, but I just like, don't want to, um, totally fine. Yeah. Anonymity is totally fine. And an anonymity all the way. So <clears throat> like I only had, I had one class with her and then I took another class with her, but I dropped the second class, which I feel a little bit guilty about, but it wasn't a class that I needed. And it was at eight o'clock in the morning and it was like a year after I took my first class with her. And to be honest, she didn't even remember that I had taken it and dropped it. So I don't really feel that bad at all, but um, she has since gone on to move to the UK and she teaches, I think it, she lives in London, I think. You talked about this lady before. Yeah. We've, we've talked about her before. Yeah, it yeah, was okay. like a year ago that I talked about this. Yeah, so, yeah, we, I remember this. I remember this. Yeah, so she moved over there and then about a year ago when I talked about her the first time, she had come back because we're friends on Facebook and I don't even remember how we became friends on Facebook, but... Um, I saw her post a picture in New Orleans, and so I commented on it, and I was like, hey, like, what are you doing here? Like, what's going on? Because I had known that she had been overseas, but I wasn't really sure, like, what her deal was, like, what she was doing over there or how long she was over there. And so she was back in the States for, like, a book. She had just published a book, uh, her second book, and was kind of back on, it wasn't on a book tour, but she was, like, doing a reading at this, like, literary festival in town. And so I met her downtown, and we got beignets, and we just kind of, like, hung out for a couple hours and caught up and everything. And then last week, um, she had messaged me again uh, on Instagram, and she was like, hey, I'm going to be back in town um, for about a week for vacation. Uh, you know, do you want to meet up? It'd be great to go. She was like, I'm bringing my, uh, this guy that I'm seeing, and it would be cool to go on a double date or something. And I was like, sure, that sounds amazing. And at the time, um, last year, whenever we met up, she had told me, basically, we had this long, wonderful discussion uh, over beignets downtown about how she had moved to the UK and she's kind of like one of those women who's like been through a lot, but she's suddenly like really like living her best. Like I know when people say living their best life, it sounds like a really like cheesy white girl thing to say, but she's like really like living her best life in the UK right now. And by that, I mean, she is teaching overseas and she's also like fucking a bunch of dudes that she meets online that are like 20 years yes, younger than yes, her. Yes, yes, I, rem I remember that part, yes. <laughs> and so whenever she said that she was going to be coming over, I told Patrick, I was like, hey, she wants to go on like a double date. Like, you know, we could probably go out to dinner and get drinks or something. And I told him, I was like, and I bet you that she's going to be some dude over here that's like 20 years younger than her. And like, hey, you know, no judgment, power to her and all that. So I didn't really know what to expect whenever we went out. So last uh, Tuesday, it was almost a week ago, um, or a little over a week ago, um, we ended up going out, and we went out to dinner with her and the guy that she brought, and then her cousin who lives in town, and she's about the same age as her cousin. And we went out to dinner, and then the four of us, her cousin went home, and then the four of us went out and got drinks after. And I proceeded to get, like, pretty drunk on a Tuesday night, which is kind of out of character <laughs> for me, considering I work every day of the week. Um, but it was kind of just, like, one of those once-in-a-lifetime, not lifetime, but once-in-like-a-while situations where, like, you know, she's in town once a year, and she brought her boyfriend, who was, like, 20 years younger than her, and he was really cute, and he was British, and he had, like 
uh, and you know the accent and like the whole thing and so it was cool to uh, like hang out with them that night and so like we ended up going out that night and I told in my like semi drunken stupor because like uh, she's pretty familiar with my like photography and stuff and I mean anybody who follows some of my photography knows that I tend to photograph like cute dudes a lot and she's obviously into like cuter younger men and so I had like sort of like half drunkenly told her and him that I was like interested in photographing him before he left and I didn't really like necessarily mean anything like sexy because I don't really like go into photo shoots being like oh hi my name's Corey like take your pants off while I get my camera out like that's not really like my aim so but knowing what I knew about her she was like pretty into it and I think I had like gotten up and like gone to the bathroom at one point and she like told him while I was gone or like text messaged him or something and let him know like what uh like what uh what I had said and so he ended up coming over like a few days later and I photographed him and it didn't like end up being anything like sexy or anything um but something that I didn't realize at the time that I guess like Patrick kind of picked up on was that I think she was like kind of sort of like low-key like trying to set him up with me and Patrick a little bit which is a little bit weird but also like kind of cool but I was too <laughs> like I was too stupid to realize that anything was going on because the day that he came over to take pictures she had flown out that morning so she didn't come over with him and I didn't realize that was going to be the case like I thought that they were both going to come over here and we we're just going to like hang out for a little while and plus I have a motorcycle that is uh currently not in service and he's like really into motorcycles so he wanted to come over and like look at it and see if he could fix it and kind of like diagnose its problems or whatever which he did and he was unable to fix but he would like I don't know offered some suggestions on what he thought it was um, but I thought she was going to be there too but she flew out that morning he came over and then, like, after he left, and, like, nothing happened. I want to make that clear, and I'm not, like, lying about this for the show. Like, I did, I was too stupid to realize that, like, the the possible proposition that was happening was happening, because I'm, like, not, you know, the sharpest knife in the drawer. And so, like, after he left, Patrick was kind of like, you know, I think, like, maybe she was trying to, like, hand him off to us in a way. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then, like, I kind of, like, and I think it was because I was pretty drunk on Tuesday night that I was, like, re-piecing the pieces together and sort of like walking back on it and thinking like okay like it makes a little bit more sense but I was so focused on just like having him here in the first place to like photograph him because I knew that and I told him this at the time I was like I I was like you know I I might not ever see you again like I don't want to be dramatic but like you're from the UK I'm over here I never travel internationally so like I would like to photograph you while you're here because like I I literally might never see you again and that's kind of important and the awkwardness of me having to ask you to take your pictures the the awkwardness of knowing that I missed my opportunity is so much worse than knowing that I you know than asking you in the first place. And so everything ended up working out but um and I don't really have like a big like solid ending to the story you know like we didn't have a three way or a four way or whatever like he just came over he looked at the bike we hung out I took pictures and then I drove him to the airport for him to fly out um cuz something interesting about New Orleans is that the airport here is very small. It's much smaller than you think it would be for it to be like a major U.S. city, especially a tourist city. But one of the weird things about the New Orleans airport is that it offers direct flights to London, which I think is kind of weird because like usually you have to fly to like a big like international hub airport to do something like that. But for some reason, 
London and New Orleans have um, direct flights, which I think are like 11, like nine or 11 hours or something like that. Um, but I ended up taking him to the airport and he had said that he wanted to come back before the end of the year or maybe early next year because he wants to like come over and either like rent or like get a motorcycle and do one of those kind of like cross country, like motorcycle trips that people who are far ballsier than I am uh, do on motorcycles. And so I was like, oh, well, you can stay with us if you ever come back. And which, you know, sort of not realizing that that was sort of like another weird invitation that I didn't even realize I was giving him. So like, I don't know if any of this is going to pan out in the future. And I mean, depending on what happens, I will probably keep the podcast uh, abreast of the situation. Or maybe I won't if things get really uh, intense. But you can I, just tell me after the show is fine. Yeah, it'll be some beautiful off-show uh, banter. But um, that's probably, I mean, my life has been kind of boring the past couple weeks, so that's probably the most significant thing um, that's happened lately. But, I mean, all in all, it was just really great to see her again, and it was cool to have, uh, like, her boyfriend. I don't know if they call each other boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever, but it was nice to have him over and meet him, and he was cool, and it was, although it was kind of hard to understand what he was saying, because not only did he have an accent, but he, like, spoke very um not quietly but his voice was just very like a bassy and he was like a mumbler on top of that so it was one of those things kind of like when you're talking on the phone with somebody and it takes you like five seconds after they stop speaking to like put together what they just said and so like every time he talked i felt like an idiot because it wasn't his fault but i was just like kind of squinting my eyes and looking at him and then i would be like oh haha i get it and then i would be able to respond to what he said but um, but it was a good time, and I had a good time, and I'm glad that she was able to come over here and get in touch with me and all of that. And hopefully, I mean, she'll probably be back like once a year because I guess she grew up uh, around New Orleans whenever she was younger, which I didn't realize until she came back. So I'm sure she'll be back in the future, and I look forward to our next meeting. Well, I guess the only thing in my mind that I really want to like raise as a, I don't know, question or an issue or something. Um, I mean, she clearly didn't like pull you aside at any point and be like, Hey, this guy is like probably curious or something or whatever. Ne- and, and never. And to be frank, I don't know if he's interested in men at all. Like I, I he never ever said like, Oh, I'm by curious or she never said that. He never said that. So for all I know, he would have no interest and she just maybe has this like fantasy or something. Like, I don't well, know that, what the deal is. That was my follow up was going to be like, <laughs> if, if it's not that, I mean, cause that seems kind of weird. Right. Because I mean, yeah, they're going out or whatever and it's on a trip and it just, I don't know, just like bringing them to new Orleans for the sole purpose. Of, I mean, clearly it wasn't the sole purpose, but like, it just seems kind of just the whole thing seems kind of weird. But the thing that seems more likely in my mind, um, would be maybe that it was like like her fantasy to like see a couple guys get it on and like maybe that was her jam and maybe the guy was just like I mean maybe she was thinking get a couple drinks and everybody she's gonna sit back and watch the show oh my god I mean that to me seems more likely than this guy crossing the Atlantic Ocean to like be by curious for a night with these total strangers that he's never met before you know what I mean like oh my god I mean maybe I'm totally off base but in my mind that's how the pieces are fitting together I think I would probably if I was you I would like pull that lady aside and be like, look, I'm not saying it ain't good, but like, what exactly did you got going on here, lady? Because we got to get the get our story straight before before drinks start going down, you know? Well, I mean, from my under, from my limited um, understanding of the world at large and not just the United States, it is my understanding that there are no gay men in London, so he would have to come over here. It, it only makes reasonable sense 
that he would have to cross the ocean. <laughs> and if he were bi-curious or if she wanted to live out this fantasy or whatever, he would have no choice but to fly nine hours to New Orleans in order to, like, partake in this fantasy. So it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, that is a good point. I, that <laughs> There's true. No LGBT people across the seas. They're only only right here in America. That's the only place you can get those, those quality people. So, uh, Well, that's that's uh, that's a thing that happened. That's kind of weird. But I guess you'll have to keep us posted. I mean, or at least keep me posted because uh, the next time she, she comes along, I'm going to be like, okay, so she, did she bring like three guys this time? Was there... <laughs> <laughs> did she bring a keg? Like, what? Did she bring her own camera? Like, what happened? Like, so. oh, all right, all right. We'll we'll get off of this topic. We'll uh, we'll switch gears uh, to something else here. I actually have a ton of shit to talk about. Nothing as juicy and salacious as that. I mean, that's a hard story to top. Was was um, that juicy and salacious though? I'm not so sure. I think it was. I mean, I think it was. Even if you didn't specifically do anything and nothing really happened, just the idea of like that whole stuff going down <laughs> is pretty juicy, especially for this podcast because we keep it pretty clean. So anyway, uh, let's move, let's change topics really quickly. Um, Circling back to the Orville, which I I talked about before multiple times. I haven't talked about it in a while, but the second season just wrapped. And I got to say, dude, it was a pretty fucking baller season. Like, it was a really good second season. Um, they had some really strong sci-fi episodes that were just, like, really cool concepts and really cool ideas. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorites was kind of a two-parter, and I thought the first part was actually... I mean, both parts were good, but the first part was, like, they get this time anomaly... And the captain uh, used to be married to his first officer. They got divorced, blah, blah, blah. Not important. But point being, they're not together anymore. What happens is they go through this time anomaly, and then a, the, the first officer's younger self gets pulled through the time anomaly. So the captain is like, oh, shit, this is, like, my chance to, like, date her again and, like, get it right this time because older her doesn't want to date me no more, but, like, the younger her is still in love with me. So then how do you navigate that space? Which I thought was, like... Super fascinating from like multiple levels, from like an ethics level, from like a relationship perspective, from like how it all played out. And it was just, it was like really, really good. Um, the show continues to be like super, like mega queer positive, dude. Like super, I'm trying to think of a show that I watch that's more queer than that. And I can't think of one. That show is really queer. Uh, Steven Universe maybe is more queer than that. But like, I mean, I know people, we talked about this earlier about Seth MacFarlane possibly being a transphobe or whatever. Like, I mean, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it at all. This show is, this show, I mean, the fucking ship could be painted rainbow. And I think it would like, nobody would, would bat an eye at it. So really enjoyed the second season a lot. Um, and in fact, some of my friends who I talked to who were very much anti Orville in the first season and were very much Star Trek loyalists have actually come around. And in fact, everybody I knew who started off hating the Orville watches it now and watches it, not hate watches it, but actually legit watches it now. So I I want to make one more brief pitch to you and Patrick, maybe give it a shot, and also to the people out there listening. If you wrote it off for whatever reason, because it was a Star Trek ripoff, or because Seth MacFarlane had some bad press, or just whatever reason you wrote it off, please give it a shot. I think it's actually, like, a legit, like, really good show. It's, like, probably one of my favorite shows on TV right now. I love The Orville. It's great. I am glad that it's wrapping up well. That's something that, um, and it's, you because I talked about Star Trek Discovery last week, and so with season two of that wrapping up. And, like, I feel, like, I don't know. I feel like this, maybe the same people, oddly enough, are not watching both shows at the same time because I don't really hear a lot of, like, social media chatter or anything about either show ever. Like, you're literally the only person I ever hear talk about um, the Orville. 
And I don't really know anybody but me and Patrick that's watching Star Trek Discovery. Like, Patrick has a couple friends in Omaha that watch it. Um, and like just from, like, the stuff that you're talking about is sort of, like, the capsule um, sort of, like, uh, like kind of, like, hard sci-fi storylines that the Orville is approaching. Like, I wish that... And I talked about this a little bit last week when I was talking about Discovery, that I kind of wish that, like, Discovery would get to a place where it can start doing that kind of stuff rather than it focusing so intensely on one, like, 14-episode arc. And I'm a little bit mad because, like, I haven't watched The Orville. And, like, no matter how much you talk about it, I probably, like, won't ever watch it just because I know my TV habits. I know that it's hard to get me to sit down and watch things. And I have, like, a million other things I'm doing. Um, But, like, hearing you talk about these sort of, like, weird, like, ethical sci-fi episodes that The Orville just sort of seems to be, like, putting out in spades makes me kind of wish that Star Trek Discovery were doing the same thing and, you know, having, like, cooler capsule episodes with, like, ethical decisions because there have only been a handful out of the two seasons of Discovery where, you know, there's been, like, an episode that's very, very old-school Star Trekian where they, like, beam town to a planet they've never been on and the planet is living life in a certain way and they have to, like, navigate the planet under sort of like this undercover guys and like maybe they'll get found out and maybe they won't and they have to like figure out how they can do what they want on the planet uh and then like beam up kind of like without a trace or with like blending into the environment and that's like a really really big star trek thing that's like a staple for a lot of episodes in a lot of the different series and discovery has only done that like maybe three times over two seasons or something similar to it. That is not very much at all. Yeah, I know. And it's kind of, I mean, on one hand, it's like kind of a bummer because like that's that's what I expect from Star Trek. But on the other hand, it's like kind of nice because they're forging like a new path in the storytelling of Star Trek because I'm sure people thought the same thing about Deep Space Nine whenever it came out because a lot of people, like Deep Space Nine is kind of held up as this weird like, dark horse in the Star Trek universe because it's very similar to Discovery in the sense that, like, it's about war and it's about peace and it's about death and it's about, um, you know, sort of like all of these sort of, like, less glamorous sides of life. And DS9 did a thing where it pretty much arced over its entire series as well rather than doing capsule episodes. So Discovery very much seems like it falls more in line with DS9 than any other Star Trek. And, I mean, it just kind of depends on what you like. Like, do you want it to be all glamorous and sort of, like, tied with a bow ethical decision episodes? Or do you want it to be these sort of, like, dark arcs that maybe don't dive as deep as you want them to, but they keep, like, a storytelling arc strong over the series? And I I don't know. I like both of them. And I wish that Discovery would kind of get to a place where it can do more stuff like that and maybe do, you know, kind of the stuff that it sounds like the Orville is doing as far as, like, the ethical kind of capsule episodes go. You know, something that's really interesting um, about the Orville, and I haven't watched Discovery yet. I would like to watch Discovery. I, we plan to watch Discovery. We just haven't had time for it. So I'm not anti-Discovery by any means. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, but one thing that I think is really interesting about the Orville is uh, they, did, they did not have an overarching story arc. I don't think either season has had, like, one main story. But one thing that is really interesting is they do treat their characters... Um, as if they are persistent people, like things that happen in older episodes will get referenced. So even though it's not necessarily a storyline or like a plot point or something like they're like, Oh yeah, this thing happened to this, this character and they're acting this way because of what happened three episodes ago. Like they still treat it as though these characters are growing and evolving. And like the things that have happened in the past are still in the universe. So even though they are kind of like capsule episodes, 
it's like capsule episodes, but there's like a narrative kind of like thread kind of connecting them all, even though it's not necessarily the overarching story. Like, for example, um, one of the main threads that keeps coming and actually had come up many times was I don't know if I've re- I don't know if I referenced it or not, but the 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 aliens that are like the planet of gay aliens, and uh, they had a um, a daughter, and that they had like this whole series of episodes where it was about they were going back and forth whether she should whether they should force her to like surgically transition to being a boy because the whole planet was boys and you know whatever I talked about it before in the show I thought it was a really good episode. Um, that thing, that that theme has come up like over and over again, which I thought was pretty amazing because you get to the, uh, the resolution of that episode, which I thought was really good in and of itself. But then later on, they t- they touch on that planet later on, and it turns out that there's way more women on the planet than they ever had admitted to, and the gov- like the male government was kind of covering it up uh, because they just want to stay as a planet of dudes. And so that was like a whole separate thing, and it wasn't necessarily a connected storyline, but it's like, oh yeah, right. I remember this planet. It's all the planet of dudes. And now we're looking at the same issue from a different angle and it's not connected really, but it's just something that you know about. Right. And like later on, one thing that I really liked was like the two aliens on the ship. Uh, one of them was the main character and one is his partner. And they're both guys. One of them was pro surgery. One was anti-surgery. And like it caused a rift in their relationship for like three or four episodes in a row. And I was like, it's not, again, not the main story. It's not the, it's not the point of the series, but it's like, if you have been watching the episodes, seeing them like not getting along because they did not really come to a resolution on that issue, like added like a lot of depth to both of their characters. And I thought it was really awesome that they are able to do the capsule, but still the characters are like, you know, like it's, they're existing in the world, like their reality is continuing and they may go from story to story, but like, it's still is a persistence there that is not quite the same as having an overarching story arc, which I thought was really cool. And I honestly, I really like that approach a lot. I think their writers are doing some really great stuff on that show. I just want to say that above and beyond all of this, I feel like um, Game Critics podcast veteran Tim Spath would be very proud of us for having this discussion. And aside from that, I cannot believe, and I think I've said this on an old Game Critics podcast before too, that I, if you had asked me five years ago anything about Star Trek, I would not have been able to tell you a Klingon from a Romulan or a holodeck from the Ready Room. I wouldn't have known anything. And now here we are talking about Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek DS9, uh, the Orville, I have talked about um, Voyager on the show before. I have not watched every single episode of Star Trek ever that's ever been done, but I've watched a lot of them, and I can't believe that I've come this far. It is pretty ironic that they used to talk about Star Trek all the time on the old show, and I just couldn't give a shit. And now that we're not recording with any of the Star Trek fans, <laughs> we talk about it like more than we ever talked about it before. <laughs> pretty fucking ironic. I'm sure if there's any listeners of the old Game Critics podcast who are still with us after all these years... I'm sure they can also appreciate the irony of how many times I've audibly rolled my eyes whenever Star Trek came up. (laughs) So, yes, I I do think this is quite a very juicy, very juicy bit of irony here. So Um, let's move on. Let's leave Star Trek and the Orville alone for a little while. Quick shout out to Over the Garden Wall. Um, My son and I are still kind of searching for something to replace Steven Universe now that we're done with it. And I don't know that we're going to necessarily find anything as good as that, but we are looking for some other show. Um, Kind of unsuccessful. We tried a few different things. Nothing really stuck. And then he kind of verged off into Teen Titans. Um, that's not what it's called. Teen Titans. You know the one I'm talking about? Where they're all kind of like 
young. I mean, of course, they're teens, but it's like a real goofy, <laughs> kind of irreverent show. Do you know the, the cartoon I'm talking about? Teen I, Titans I, Go, I think I've it's called. I've heard of it, but I don't really know. I kind of lump it in with that same category of Steven Universe and whatever that other show we talked about before is that I can't remember. Rick Gravity and Morty. Falls. Oh, Gravity oh, Falls. Oh, yeah, Rick, Rick and Morty. And Morty yeah, I yeah. kind of just like bundle it, because I don't know anything about all these shows individually other than what you said on the show, so I kind of bundle it away with all of those, which is probably not the right thing to do, but it's only so many hours in a day, and I cannot be bothered to research a bunch of TV shows that I'm not watching. <laughs> totally. No, I did the exact same thing. I had them all kind of in a big, like, yucky bucket myself before I started watching them all, and it wasn't until we dove in that I was really able to tell the difference, but he is really connected with Teen Titans. I think it's called Teen Titans Go, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it's fine, but it's just really goofy, just like laughs. And there's nothing really like deep or very interesting about it to me. Um, not that every cartoon needs to, to be that way, but it just doesn't really hold my attention the way that the other ones did. Um, so he's kind of branched off on that. I'm still trying to find something that he'll like, and we're kind of, kind of floundering right now. But I have like 35 different suggestions from Twitter. Thank you all for those people who, who sent those in. Um, and we're going to go through them one by one, but we just watched Over the Garden Wall, which was a Cartoon Network 10-episode limited series. Uh, everybody in that show who lends their voice is like a famous person. Like Elijah Wood was the main character. Christopher Lloyd was the main character. Uh, I, I mean, like literally everybody in that show was somebody that you have heard or seen from another property. Um, and it was really interesting. It was. Uh, it's hard to exactly explain what the whole thing is about without giving it all away, but basically... An older brother and his younger brother are walking through this mysterious forest and they meet really fucking weird people and like really weird shit happens. And it's actually surprisingly like dark and creepy at times, uh, like definitely like three shades creepier than I thought it was going to be. Um, I mean, nothing really pants wetting or really frightening, but like <laughs> as me and the son are watching it, we're like, oh, that was that was pretty creepy or oh, that was unexpected. Um, so it's pretty good, but it's very odd because the best way that I can describe it. It's like if somebody from right now in 2019 wrote a script and then sent it to somebody to animate it in 1970, but that animator in 1970 was working off of inspirations from 1920. So there's a really <laughs> fucking weird, weird convergence of styles and flavors and tone and artistic choices it's really bizarre to try to put your finger on it because it seems like they're borrowing from so many different places and kind of mixing it all together where like they'll have like music from the twenties, but then they're kind of going on this like 70s sort of Lord of the ring rank and bass sort of adventure. But then they're talking about like iPhones and mixtapes and stuff. And so it's really just like off the wall and bizarre and you really don't know what to even make of it until you get to the end of it. And it does kind of come together at the end. So that's good. Uh, but it's kind of a head scratcher for a while, but I thought it was good. It's only 10 episodes. Each episode is only like, I want to say 15 minutes. So like wall to wall, you're talking like two, two and a half hours. It's not that big a commitment. Um, and if you break it up over a couple days, it's no big deal. So shout out to Over the Garden Wall. Thought that was good. Um, watched the first episode of the new Twilight Zone. Did we talk about this already? We did not talk about this. Have you watched any of it? I have not, nor will I, but I do know that the big hullabaloo around it is that Jordan Peele is behind it of Get Out and Us fame. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I watched the first episode, did not watch any more. I wanted to watch more, just didn't have the time, couldn't find it in my schedule, but we watched the first one. Um, and it was 
pretty good. It was about a comedian. <laughs> Are I you mean, sure it was pretty good? That didn't sound very confident, Brad. It's pretty good, but the, the, the caveat being, I feel like it was too long. The first episode was an hour, and by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, okay, that was really good, but it could have been 45 minutes. It could have been 30 minutes. Um, so maybe that's just the editor in me, but I thought it was pretty good, and I know that a lot of people have tried to revive The Twilight Zone over the years. I was a real big fan of the original. Have you ever watched the original, or, or do you like the original? My only familiarity with the original is this single episode about, and I might even get some of this wrong, because this is literally the only thing I know about it, is the single episode where the person is like in the airplane, and there's a creature on the wing of the airplane or something. Am I getting any of this right? Yeah, that's right. That's one of the most famous episodes. They've redone that one like many times. So there's like three or four different versions of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, that's pretty much because I know the show is about sort of like sort of like weird, like supernatural stuff that exists in our world. Am I on the right page here? I mean, it's basically like it's basically like capsule episode of the series where each one is kind of like a moral or a strange issue to talk about. But then it's wrapped up in sci-fi or fantasy terms. So each it could be anything. I mean, it could be about body horror it could be about um laws getting out of control it could be about racism or whatever and each one told you know an unconnected separate tale that kind of talked about those things um but so it's just basically like um, a blank canvas that anybody could paint anything on and every episode was different from the rest so they covered a really broad swath of topics and i i watched i think almost every episode and i really liked it a lot watched them with my grandparents when i was a kid and uh pretty fond memories of that so Love the original show and the new one. I've only seen the first episode, but I think Peel did pretty good. I mean, um, the episode was good enough, a little bit long, but still good. I feel like it captured the spirit of the original show well. The only other thing that I had a little bit of a problem with was really not fair, but I love the Key and Peel comedy show. Have you ever seen Key and Peel? I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. Okay, like the first 3.5 seasons of that are the funniest fucking thing like <laughs> ever. I don't know anybody who doesn't think that shit's funny. That shit is hardcore funny. Um, so I that's my first experience with um, with Jordan Peele. I know him from that show. Uh, we watched all those seasons. Really liked it a lot. And to see him show up on The Twilight Zone in place of Rod Serling, who's the original host, where he shows up, he's like, hi, welcome to The Twilight Zone. Tonight's episode is about XYZ. Isn't this weird? And, like, he's totally playing it straight, but I've seen him do so much comedy that when I see him, I'm waiting for him to crack a joke. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm waiting for the punchline. And he's not going to deliver one because he's not making a joke. But I can't take him seriously because I've just seen him do so much funny shit. And so that's probably on me. That's on me. Like, I just, he comes out to host the show and I'm like, I want to laugh because it's, it's Peel. It's Jordan Peel. He's funny. Um, but he is not the funny guy anymore. He's the horror guy right now, which is kind of wrecking my brain a little bit. But... Anyway, it's not too bad. I want to check out the rest of the episode. Seems like a pretty good start. Um, looking pretty good. So the only other thing I was going to bring up is I think the thing that you were going to bring up, which I'm assuming is Avengers Endgame. Am I right? The freaking white elephant juggernaut in the room, Brad. All right, folks, if you have listened this far, thank you very much for listening to our banter because that means you also got through the show. Uh, we are going to be doing a very rare banter spoiler warning um i assume we're going to be talking about a to z front and back everything included in avengers endgame if you have not seen the movie yet please do not listen to this part come back to it after you've seen it and then you can hear our thoughts uh but this is your one and only warning we are about to hardcore spoil everything in endgame and it's going down right now so please stop if you don't want to be spoiled okay spoiler warning <laughs> aside um i saw it you saw it um i know i'm probably the bigger 
superhero movie fan, but you've seen a fair number of superhero movies yourself, Corey. What did you make of it? Why did you go see it? What did you think? What are your general thoughts? Well, I went... Um, we've talked about superhero movies approximately 652 times on the show before, and I... I mean, and it's kind of been said over and over again between the two of us that I have the capacity to enjoy them, but I'm not someone who seeks out every single one that comes out. And for the Marvel Universe in and of itself, um, the MCU, if you will, there's definitely several movies that I have not seen. And as a matter of fact, I have pulled up a nifty list right in front of me because I'm going to try to go through the handful that I have not seen. I have not seen... I always forget that The Incredible Hulk in 2008 was technically part of the MCU because they recast the Hulk after that. But I have not seen The Incredible Hulk. I have not seen Captain America 1. I have not seen Iron Man 3 or Thor The Dark World. I've seen some of Winter Soldier, but not all of it. I have not seen the second Avengers, Age of Ultron. I have not seen Ant-Man. I have seen most of Civil War, but not all of it. I have not seen Doctor Strange. I have not seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I have not seen Thor Ragnarok. I have not seen Ant-Man and the Wasp. And everything else I have scene um before i jump into endgame do you have any feedback about my mcu track record no i mean that seems kind of random though what was how how did you see some of these and how did you not see some was it just like patrick was watching them you're walking through the room or you just had nothing to do that saturday night or like how is it how is it so spotty like what was the what was the the habit or not habit of watching these movies um well whenever iron man first came out because that came out in 2008 so i was in that was like my sophomore year freshman or sophomore year of college and i remember patrick wanting to go see it and me kind of like begrudgingly being like okay i guess we can go see it because i just like wasn't really that interested and then to everything's credit, the entire Marvel Universe's credit, I saw it and I loved it because the first Iron Man is, it's a magical. And I was not expecting it to be very good. And then I saw Iron Man 2 because it was kind of like the next one, even though The Incredible Hulk came out in 2008. And I I don't feel like people just, I don't know what happened with The Incredible Hulk, but what, what whatever happened, I didn't even realize it was a thing, so I never saw it. Um, some of them, like Thor, I was just never interested in. Um, Captain America, I guess I just wasn't interested in it. Like, I feel like if I saw it, I would probably like it. And that probably goes for most of these movies. But for some reason or another, I just never saw it. Um, I saw the, the first Avengers because everybody on the planet saw the first Avengers. That was like the first like juggernaut of the MCU where they brought everybody together. I saw it. I liked most of it. Um, although I did... I was kind of annoyed, and this is kind of the thing that annoys me about superhero movies, is that the Avengers is very much a, hey, we're a bunch of superheroes. There's something threatening the galaxy. We defeat the thing that's threatening the galaxy. All right, the movie's over. And that's kind of like where my fatigue comes with a lot of these movies, and the Avengers felt a lot like that. Um, And so, like, uh, Iron Man 3, I never saw because it got a really bad rap at the time. And that's one of those movies that people either hate or people say is a misunderstood masterpiece. I don't know which one it is because I've never seen it. Um, the Winter Soldier, I think, was just, like, on TV one day, and I, like, caught most of it when I was in the room. Um, I saw the first Guardians of the Galaxy and hated it, so I had no interest in seeing the second Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Avengers Age of Ultron, I just never saw it because I thought it was going to be the first Avengers just copied and pasted into a second movie. Although I am interested in seeing it. I just haven't gone back to watch it yet. Um 
Uh, Civil War, I think I saw most of on TV as well. It was just like on when I was in the room or maybe Patrick had it up on Netflix or something. Um, was not interested in Doctor Strange because I don't really... I mean, like Benedict Cumberbatch, like I kind of feel the same way about him as I feel about like Bradley Cooper or like some, like, I don't know, some other actors where like I don't really, I just kind of like don't really care about them and having them in a movie is not like the star power that draws me to them. So I was like, oh, cool, another movie about like a dark-haired white guy. Like, I don't need to see this. Um, I saw Spider-Man, obviously. Um, Thor Ragnarok, I've heard it's amazing. I just didn't see it. I've only seen the first Thor and didn't really like it, so I didn't see that one. Uh, And the Ant-Mans, I just... They don't look interesting at all to me. I don't really... I feel like Ant-Man, and I might be wrong about this, kind of subscribes to the same humor that Guardians of the Galaxy does, and I don't really like that kind of humor. Like the Chris Pratt humor of like, oh, we're about to fight the final bad guy at the end of the movie. Oh, ho, 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 I'm going to put my tape player on and do do a dance-off. And I'm like, shut the fuck <laughs> up, Chris Pratt. Like, he's so fucking annoying. And I just, like, hate that kind of humor that those movies represent. And I, I don't know if Ant-Man is like that, but for some reason, I just lump Paul Rudd and Chris Pratt in together as, like, representing that kind of, like silly humor that I just don't really like. And if you like that humor, like, that's a-okay. I'm not, like, trying to be a jerk or anything, but I just think it's really stupid, and I don't like that kind of humor. Um, I just think it's really obvious and really dumb, and it's not, like, clever or sharp or anything. Um, So I didn't see, though... I didn't... Yeah, those... I don't know. That was a really long-winded walkthrough of why I didn't see certain (laughs) movies in the MCU, so I'm sorry it took me, like, ten minutes to get through that. No, no, no. That's totally fine. I think that's all really good background. I mean, I, I, I've seen every movie because I love Marvel. I've always been a Marvel fan. I have a million Marvel comic books. I worked in a comic book store, so it's pretty obvious that I would like these movies. And I, you know, this whole thing has been kind of a, a fanboy nerd's dream come true after so many really poor TV shows, really poor movie adaptations, and just failing to see these cool properties um, come to fruition. So, I mean, I love them all. I've seen them all. I don't think there's a single one that I actively dislike, so that's where I'm coming from. So, um, with that in mind, my background and your background, what did you make of Endgame then? I guess, I guess number one, what did you make of it? Did you have any stakes going into it? Like, did you care about anything? Were you worried about anything? Or were you just going along for the ride? Or, like, what was your mindset before you got to the movie? Well, I... I actually went into Endgame caring a great deal about it because I saw Infinity War in the theater pretty late in its run. Like, it was probably... Because Infinity War, I mean, obviously it made, like, a hundred bajillion dollars, like, more money than God, uh, you know, Infinity War made. So it was in theaters for a long time, and I saw it on, like, the very tail end of its run. And I... I didn't, like, I think I wasn't super interested in seeing Infinity War because I didn't see Age of Ultron. And, like, at a certain point with the MCU, and this isn't really a bad thing, I kind of feel like you kind of have to have seen certain ones before in order to see the new ones. Like, I saw Avengers 1, then I didn't see 2, and then I saw 3, and I kind of, like, was worried that I wouldn't get anything that was going on because I hadn't seen the second one. But I actually ended up liking Infinity War quite a bit. And something that I really like about Infinity War is because it does the thing that I that goes against everything that superhero movies stand for, and that is that the bad guy wins at the end of the movie. Like the, you know, infamous, if you will, ending of Infinity War is um, Thanos comes down, he gets the Infinity Stones, and he likes I, I still don't I don't understand the whole snapping finger thing. It's really silly to me, but 
It's neither here nor there. He snaps his fingers with the gauntlet, and basically half of humanity gets wiped out. Um, half of the and that's universe like, gets wiped uh, out. Of, of the universe, I'm sorry. Half of the universe gets wiped out. And that was, like, really incredible because every one of these movies ends the same way. Like I said earlier, there's something threatening the galaxy. They fight it. They win. The movie's over. But this went against all of that. The bad guy won. And not only did the bad guy win, he won drastically, like, cut out half of the life ever. And then the movie really ended on kind of like a, like, kind of like a cliffhanger of, like, okay, like, half the universe is gone. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? Um, and so I really appreciated that about it because I wish that more... Because superhero movies are ov- are often packaged as, like... You know, they're, like, crowd... You know, they're popcorn crowd-pleaser movies, and I feel like they don't always, like, you know, hold a mirror up to humanity or whatever, and nor do I expect <laughs> them to because they're fucking superhero movies. But this one, like, kind of did because, it you know, it, the bad guy got his way in the end, and I was not really expecting that, so it was really wonderfully done. Um... And so I actually, like, the stakes were pretty high for me going into uh, Endgame. And I went and saw it on Patrick uh, got the four, me and Patrick and his coworker Weston and his girlfriend, the four of us went and saw it on Friday night. It came out on Thursday. We saw it on Friday night in IMAX. We sat about a quarter of the way up through the seats of the theater, which I like. I'm not a front row sitter, but I like to sit in the first, like, half of the theater at least. I'm not a back row sitter at all. And... It was an IMAX, so it was obviously big and glorious and, you know, huge and loud and all the things that I want from a movie. And I was surprisingly very emotional during uh, during Endgame. Really? Yes. Really? Like, there were, and, like, we'll get into this as we kind of talk through what happens in the movie, but, like, there is some stuff that happens toward the end of the movie. Like, basically, the entire sort of, like, climactic fight that happens at the end of the movie, I was, like, just, like, like, starstruck in a way. Like, maybe, like, in awe. And whenever I get really excited about that stuff in movies, I cry. Like, I'm, like, like a happy, like, not not a happy crier, but, like, when stuff is just, like, breathtaking to me, I cry. And, like, and I do the same thing at concerts. Like, when I see musicians who I love who I've never seen live before usually I cry at their concerts because it's just like such it's such a moment you know and that's really how I felt at the end of Endgame like there's just stuff that happens in this final fight and like the entire time like my eyes could not have been wider and my mouth was just hanging open the entire time and I was like you know, doing, I was just like, oh, oh my God. And I was like crying and it was just like really intense. And it just like seeing, every, like even having, not having seen all of the movies leading up to this, like just recognizing the fact that everything from 2008 had been building to this point and then seeing it all come together. And I mean, what I can only imagine is the best way it could have possibly come together. Like this movie is incredible. And I feel like that's like a, good compliment coming from me because usually I'm the person that's like, oh, whatever, like Eric Jarkoff motion superhero movies. But like this movie is incredible. And like the entire ending fight sequence, like I basically like cried and gasped through the entire thing. And there was like some really unexpected stuff that happens during it that we can talk about in a minute. Um, But I mean, long story short, I was, I loved it. And I was a lot more emotional than I thought I was going to be. The movie spends a lot of time being quieter than I expected it to be. I didn't really know what it was going to be going in. Like, I kind of thought 
it was going to be the whole movie was going to be them like tracking down and fighting Thanos and then Captain Marvel was going to show up at the last minute and basically like punch him and he dies like that's sort of what I was expecting and that's not what this is at all which made me even happier because like the whole thing about Endgame is like they put Captain Marvel first the movie came out first because like they were really setting Endgame up to kind of have her be like this big cosmic superhero that comes in and kind of saves the day and yeah, she does come in, but like that's not what happens. And that made me happy that that's not what happens because I was just expecting all the Avengers to be like dead in the water and her, you know, jump down to Earth and solve everything. And I'm really glad that's not what happened. Um, but I was very pleasantly surprised with it. I actually kind of want to go see it again in theaters before it's done because I was so like awestruck when I saw it the first time that I really just want to go back and like experience that again. Um, but I've talked at length. I'm sorry for spanning the entire MCU saga and, and summing it up with Endgame. But how? What did you think about it? Uh, I mean, you're, I liked are you it. Gonna say, I liked you're going to say bad things, aren't you? No, no, sure? no. I'm not going to say anything bad. I liked it a lot, and I got to say, like, I see it as as really like a supreme victory uh, for the MCU because. I don't think the MCU really knew exactly where they were going from the beginning. Like when you start to see Iron Man, Iron Man is cool. Great. I mean, I still, I just watched it like uh, one or two years ago. Still holds up. Still an awesome movie. Um, And then they kind of went into the Hulk with Edward Norton, who is one of like, I think only three people to have ever left the MCU. Like Edward Norton left. Natalie Portman kind of fucked off and did whatever. And um, Natalie Portman is too good for the MCU. I just want to say, yeah, that she right thinks now. she's too good. She's too good for Star Wars too. She's good, too good for anything. She has been um, there and done that, Brad. And then there's um, oh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Terrence, no, no, no. Terrence, Terrence Howard. Terrence, Terrence Howard. Howard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Terrence Howard. Because he, he, he was the original. Yeah, I don't know what happened. He got into some trouble, or he was on drugs. Or I don't know. Something <laughs> happened, and he got kicked off of. Um, Iron Man 2, he was supposed to be the original War Machine and he got changed. So not very many people have left the MCU, which I think in and of itself, retaining that many people for that long over that many movies, pretty fucking incredible. And also, um, as I was, as I kind of started to say, like, I don't think the MCU really had an overall vision until maybe the third or fourth movie when they started to be like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can tie this all together. And so the first couple of movies don't really have any of those threads there, but like once you start get going, then it's like, oh, okay, the Cosmic Cube and the Infinity Stones and Hydra start showing up. And then it's like, and then it all starts coming together. So even though I don't think this thing started the way that it ended, I think that they got there and that was pretty incredible. I mean, just, I mean, just like, the, I mean, just look at this thing just on its surface, you know, like all these movies, all these different threads, everyone has basically been a success to one degree or another. This, the cast, I mean, there's nothing that's ever been attempted of this scope that has also been this successful, that has been... So like, ah, just like just giant, just this giant, giant thing. And I mean, not to mention the impact it's had on the culture, on nerd culture, culture in general, uh, the impact on movies. I mean, everybody wants their own MCU now and everybody's trying to get on that action. But I mean, just just as a thing, I mean, talk about like a once in a lifetime lightning in a bottle. Holy shit. I can't believe this whole thing happened the way it happened. And so for Endgame to be kind of the capstone to all that. I think was pretty amazing because with all those films and over basically like 10 or 11 years, I mean, you know how fucking anal retentive fucking fanboys can be. You know how, <laughs> how bent out of shape people can be. And if you leave one thread hanging, then the whole thing's terrible. And if you forget to dot one I, you forget to cross one T, then people are going to start a fucking petition and have you fired and all this shit <laughs> happens. And I haven't heard anything about that 
a little bit of grousing here and there because evidently there's a lot of men out there who just can't stand the idea of women in general and those guys are pretty fucking pathetic and need to just fuck off into the sun um but like by and large i think everybody really agrees that this is a perfect ending and that's kind of how i saw it like when i came to this movie i didn't really come to it for the action i didn't really come to it because even though it was left on a cliffhanger i mean you you kind of already knew what was going to happen. Not that I knew the beats of the movie. Like, a lot of it was a surprise, and I think the movie was really cool and fresh and interesting. Like, I'm not I'm not saying anything bad here, but I'm just saying... I mean, they already... You can already see a trailer for Spider-Man's new movie, so you knew Spider-Man wasn't dead. They're already talking about a Black Panther sequel and possibly even a spinoff with the ladies, and so you knew they weren't dead. Uh, Chris uh, Evans got on Twitter, and he's like, Hey, thanks for the great 10 years, MCU, so you knew something was going to happen to Captain America. They talked about Robert Downey Jr. being too expensive. And so you're like, okay, something's going to happen to him. <laughs> and so there's all these like meta factors that are going on where you're like, okay, well, you know, Marvel's not going anywhere. This shit's making too much money. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what you thought you saw in the previous Avengers. Those people are not staying dead. There's no way because that would kill all these movies. And these guys are making cash hand over fist over hand over fist. There's no way that's going to stop. And so in that respect, I'm kind of like, well, nothing major is going to happen. I mean, it's going to be kind of a restoration of the status quo because it doesn't make financial sense to do anything else. So on that, and that, and that kind of took a little bit of the drama away for me because knowing so much of just the real world and how movies work and how these studios work was like, okay, there's not really all that much on the line because you'd have to be fucking insane to like kill these characters and have them <laughs> stay dead. I mean, it would be like the biggest waste of money, like in history, like it would be the stupidest thing ever. So that was, kind of taking away some of the drama. But also, I just, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of excited about the next phase of the Marvel Universe. I'm looking forward to the new characters, kind of getting a fresh start, seeing new faces. And it seems to be, I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems to be like they're really focused on making it more diverse, more women, more people of color, more, you know, dare I say queer superheroes. Who knows, right? So, like, I think that's really awesome, and I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I mean... And I don't say this to say that I don't like the MCU. I love it, dude. I love it. I love every movie. I mean, I'm the biggest fan. Um, I love Captain America. I think Captain America was done perfectly. I love Iron Man. I mean, I love it all. Um, but I'm just, like, really excited about the next phase, you know? So I kind of came to it as just, like, a wrap-up and just to see how things were going to get wrapped up. And I think it was the perfect wrap-up. Like, I have no complaints about it at all. Like, I think every I was dotted. Every T was crossed. Every loose thread was, was accounted for. Every fucking person who's ever showed up in the goddamn MCU showed up like they were there. I mean, if, if only for a few seconds, but at least they showed up. Right. I mean, fucking Natalie Portman came back and she, <laughs> you know, she couldn't be bothered to take a shit on the MCU. And like <laughs> Thor's mom came back and she's a fucking busy actress. And like all these other people came back and you're like, holy shit, they got him back for like five seconds. That fucking kid from Iron Man three came back 10 years later and he showed up at the funeral. It's like, holy shit. They brought like everybody back. So it's like, okay, cool. Like I, that's from a nerd obsessive, you know, weirdo fanboy perspective, like they did literally every fucking thing they could have possibly done to make this the, the, the ending to the thing that it needed to be. And it was like, they pulled it off. Like, I mean, that in itself, huge, huge, um, victory. Like I just can't even believe what an accomplishment that is. You know, I mean, the, the casting fees must've been ridiculous for some of these people to get them to be back on, on screen for a few minutes or whatever. I mean, it must've been absurd, you know, um, I mean, they made their money back, clearly, with the biggest, like, opening <laughs> movie in, in, in opening weekend in movie history. So they made their money back. But, I mean, what, a, what an achievement. What an what a orchestration of just different factors and different moving pieces. And to get all that to come together, I mean, pretty amazing. I just have nothing but respect for this whole thing. 
Um, and I was I was very happy with that. I was very happy with it. I I think uh, you know, like I said, I wasn't on the edge of my seat, but I was very happy and very. I was just kind of just like proud that it came together. Like not like I have any reason to be proud. I had literally no involvement <laughs> in this series at all. But just as a fan and as a supporter, I was really proud that it ended so strong. You know, like they they could really hold their head up high and be like, dude. We totally pulled off 10 years of fucking movies and this whole thing came together and it was this giant finale and everybody was happy. I mean, that in itself is just like like a billion to one and they, they totally did it. Yeah, I mean, the whole, just the whole scope of everything is incredibly impressive um, and I don't really need to um, like repeat everything you said, but I, I just want to talk about, oh my God, the moment that perhaps took my breath away more than any moment in the movie and... Also, I saw it because I saw it on Friday night at six. I think the theater was completely packed. And like, it was a rare instance in which I've had a theater that is like loud in a good way because people were like cheering and laughing and clapping and like during certain parts. And usually that kind of stuff like annoys me in movies because I hate people and I just want to like focus on the movie and not be interrupted in like my space of seeing the movie. But just like the energy of the crowd was really important. And I feel like it, uh, I don't know, like heightened the movie experience in a way that I haven't experienced before. But there is one section at the very, during the climactic battle with uh, Thanos at the end of the movie where um, Chris Evans, AKA Captain America, AKA America's ass. America's ass. America's ass. That's America's Um, ass right there. (laughs) Um, He, in the middle of the battle, very quick, there was like no buildup to, which made it even better. Um, Very quickly and uh, decisively and unexpectedly picks up Thor's hammer with no like repercussions, no struggling. He just has proven himself worthy in that moment. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was in the second Avengers, which I haven't seen. They like tease to the fact that he might be able to use it, but he doesn't actually use it. And then in Endgame, he's like on the battlefield, like Thor is getting the shit kicked out of him by Thanos and his hammer is across the battlefield. And Chris Evans just picks it up and start swinging it, and everybody in the theater just, like, cheered and shouted and clapped, and that was just such an incredible moment to see. And then he starts, like, swinging around, and there's this amazing shot where he, like, throws the hammer at Thanos, and Thanos, like, hits it back to him, and then it's like they're playing fucking tennis on the battlefield, and then Captain America, like, hits the the hammer with his shield and, like, volleys it back to Thanos, and it was just, oh my god, it was the most amazing moment in the entire movie, and I just, like, could, oh my god, like, I'm surprised I didn't have, like, some kind of like heart attack or aneurysm or something because it was just like <laughs> such a breathtaking moment for me. I and I'm like and this is coming from someone like I've said like 10 times already who's not that invested in this series. Like I've only seen parts of two of the Captain America movies. Like I haven't even seen all of them all the way through. And even just like knowing what little I know about everything that happens to Captain America and to Bucky and everybody like just, like, that moment was so incredible and so, like, powerful to me. Just seeing that happen in the crowd's reaction to it, it was it was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, that was a pretty, pretty fucking dope part, dude, I gotta say. I mean, there definitely was, I mean, please don't, I, I hope I'm not coming off like I was just, like, mad the movie, because I wasn't. I mean, I think it was awesome. Um, but there were, like, yeah, there was many, many moments that I thought were quite good. That was, that was a pretty amazing moment, and I'm really glad they got to that, because they did tease it before, and 
being familiar with the comics, I mean, the thing with Thor's hammer is, like, only someone who's worthy can pick it up. And, like, in the history of the comics, there have been more than just Thor who can pick it up. It's not just Thor. And there's been a handful of people over the last 20 or 30 years that could pick it up. But it's pretty fucking rare. <laughs> um, it's a very special occasion when someone can pick it up. And so I did think that was an excellent use of it. I mean, a very cool moment and a very cool, like, kind of, like, celebration of Captain America. I mean, he's always been one of my favorite characters. I mean... Yeah, I know he's like the white guy and he's like the American guy. And that's really, you know, those things are not really too cool right now. But having grown up with him, like, you know, my entire life and seeing in the movie he stands for really what I think an idealistic America stands for, like true equality, like true justice. Like, you know, the things that I think that we'd like to think America stands for or that America could potentially stand for again, doesn't stand for right now, but maybe we could again. And as a symbol, I think Captain America is pretty awesome. And I just... I'm just never going to not like Captain America. Like, I just I just love Captain America. So that was really cool. I really love that moment a lot. Um, one of my favorite moments... I don't know if it was my favorite moment, but one of my favorite moments, and this might sound kind of weird, is, like, when Thor is talking to his mom. Like, I thought that was, like, a really touching and kind of, like... Like, he knows, like, she's just about to die, like, in a few hours, and he hasn't seen her this whole time, and his life is fucked up, and he feels like a failure, and here's his mom kind of making him feel better, and he sees her for just, like, one more moment, and... You know, he's got this really good relationship with her and she's been supportive of him. And it's just like that to me was like a pretty awesome moment, like a real, real strong character building moment. You know, it's not nobody's getting killed. No asses are getting kicked. But just it kind of just <laughs> shows that, like, they're OK at Marvel Universe to just take like five seconds to be like, hey, our characters are people, too. And honestly, that was really what their comics empire was built upon. It was like when they started doing comics that where the, the, the heroes had problems, like super superheroes were more than just heroes like Peter Parker. You know, he got, you know people bullied him at school and you know the x-men were like shunned by their families and like all these other things that people could relate to that was really the genesis of marvel comic success and so to see that mirrored in the films in many different ways not just his movie but in many different ways i think it's pretty amazing so i'm really glad they did that that moment that was one of my favorite moments uh for sure i love that part quite a bit um what's what's another favorite uh, moment for you Corey? Uh, well, to kind of like piggyback off of that a little bit and to expand upon it too um, with Thor and his mom, because I'm not really that familiar with Thor or really like any of sort of like the galactic um, heroes of the MCU. I did like that moment because something that I liked that carried through to other parts of this movie was whenever he, you know, like Thor was getting pretty emotional because he was like talking to his mom and he hadn't seen her and he knew that she was going to die and everything. And something that I really liked is how she was basically, you know, he he didn't, like, want to tell her that she was going to die because, like, he couldn't obviously tell her that. But she already knew. And she, you know, reassured him. And she was, like, you know, basically was, like, this isn't my first rodeo. Like, I know what's happening. I know what's going on. And, like, we kind of all need to be at peace with this. And, like, the the idea that sort of, like, the women of the MCU are, are sort of, like, the rocks in a way. It was, like, echoed again later whenever, uh, toward the very end, whenever Captain Marvel shows back up at the end of the movie. Because the interesting thing about this movie is, like, Captain Marvel shows up in the first, like, 15 minutes, and then she's gone for, like, 90% of the movie, and then she comes back at the very end. Um, when she comes back and, like, Spider-Man is, like, swinging around and he has the the gauntlet, the Infinity Gauntlet, and then she takes it from him. And there's, like, this great moment where, um, you know, she says, she, like, goes to take it back to, I don't know, to, like, Captain America or Iron Man or something and, like, try to get it away from Thanos. And Peter Parker being, like, the dumb, like, silly kid that he is, he's like, oh, I don't know how she's going to make it back or I don't know how you're going to do it alone. And then, like, all of, like, the women warriors come forward and it's, like, Okoye from Black Panther and 
um, the Scarlet Witch, and it's like everybody, all of like the the women that are left over, dare I say, at this point, they like stand up and they're like, no, she's not alone. And it was like this amazing like bad bitch moment for the movie where like all the women came together and they like protected uh, Captain Marvel so she could get you know the the gauntlet away from Thanos and get it back where it belongs. And it was just like a wonderful like little like sort of like female empowerment moment, if you will. And I really uh, I just. That that was another moment where like everybody in the theater was clapping and cheering, and it just felt really good. Yeah, that was awesome. I could have done with like another half hour of that shit. Dude. I mean, those <laughs> women of Marvel could have been, they could have been way more front and center. I would have been totally fine with that. And I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing more of that in the next round of movies. I think that they have got the message. I think that the women fans are on board and they're making their voices heard. And I mean, I think that's just that's what it's going to be about. Like, I don't think we can just do the whole guy superhero carries the day and it's all the stoic male stuff i mean i think it's time for more voices more perspectives um as 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 we've seen i mean captain marvel was a huge hit every woman i talked to have seen it said they fucking loved it so it's like i think that we are well past due for more of that stuff and i'm i'm very happy to see more of that i mean that was great i really i was really happy with um the amount of characterization that uh, tony stark got in the movie too i know he's always been kind of a larger character and he has never, you know, he has never not gotten his screen time. So it's not like he's been starved on screen or anything. Um, but, you know, him having a family and like realizing the value of that. And then when he sees like Peter come back and how, you know, like you could you could really see it must have really weighed on him so heavily that Spider-Man got killed. You know, he him knowing that Spider-Man is only like a teenager and kind of under Tony Stark's protection. And he just, you know, it wasn't his fault. I mean, he couldn't do anything about it. But still, at the same time, he must have felt very responsible for that. Um, so like when Spider-Man comes back and they have that moment, that was really beautiful. And then at the end, um, I mean, this kind of sounds weird to say, but like, I feel like he died really well, you know, like he did something. I mean, he basically saved like the entire universe or half the universe. Um, but how he died, like it wasn't cheesy. Like it wasn't like he didn't get like his perfect line off at the end. I mean, he didn't die with his eyes closed. Like it looked kind of horrific, uh, horrific and it looked kind of brutal and painful. And yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow was there and she comforted him or, you know, made it okay for him to kind of like let go or whatever but like just watching him kind of die like i've actually seen people die before i've been in the room when people have died before and i thought they did a really good job like people die with their eyes open they die not having said the perfect one-liner they kind of just like let go and to see that i mean i think he did a really good job and i think that it kind of made me respect it more like if it had been cheesy i think it really would have taken away from that moment um but i think they really succeeded at that and i was really happy to see they handle it the way that they did yeah, I liked that. Um, so because, like, one of the most traumatic moments of Infinity War, obviously, is whenever Spider-Man dies. And, like, honestly, like, an incredibly emotional moment in a movie that, I mean, it's already kind of depressing, but, like, really sort of hit home in a way. And I had read on the internets that Tom Holland actually, like, improvised all of his lines on set whenever he was, like, fading away as Spider-Man in that moment, which makes me, like respect him even more as an actor not saying that i didn't before but it's kind of easy to be like oh he's the white boy superhero and he doesn't really have any acting chops but he really does and knowing that he like improvised that stuff on set um really kind of makes me respect him more and like the casting of him more and knowing that he is sort of like the driving force of tony stark in endgame because it's so often that you get um you know like a male superhero or a male lead character and they like fridge the female love interest and then the guy like fights for the dead woman the whole movie or something but i liked that this was something different where like there are a few times in the movie where he'll see like a picture of peter parker or he will think about spider-man and he will remember like 
you know, this is what the sacrifice looked like and this is sort of what I need to do in order to try to repair this and go forward as like like a mentor and not necessarily like wants to save the world because he like lost someone that he was fucking. Like, I feel like that was a lot more powerful than just like, say if like Gwyneth Paltrow had died and then he's like, oh, well now I suddenly have, you know, the drive to do things in the world. Like, I feel like having that relationship because the relationship was built so well in Civil War and in Spider-Man Homecoming and then, you know, kind of came to a head in a way in Infinity War and then kind of came back around in Endgame. I, I much prefer that to like, the stereotypical like fridging women scenario. So I thought that was a good driving force for him. Yeah. Agreed. And I also saw a lot of like parental influence there too, because I mean, he didn't necessarily say so, but he must've seen Peter Parker as kind of like, like a son that he never had, or maybe like he saw himself as kind of in a, you know, quasi parental role. Um, so that really gave it extra weight for me as well. I thought, I mean, I thought that whole thing was really good. I mean, the, the relationship between the two of them, between Spider-Man and Iron Man was really great. And then, I mean, just, just all of it, I thought was a really, strong um, narrative thread that ran, you know, a couple of movies and I thought really added a lot to the whole thing. I mean, and again, like I said before, I mean, I feel like they really have, have taken the time to, to fill in those, those pictures, you know, to really give us a sense of these people as people, not just as heroes. And I feel like, you know, not perfect. I mean, they could have done more here, you know, a little bit more here and there, but I think overall a really, really great job. I mean, I think that most of the heroes, have had several very human moments or have taken a moment where they're not kicking someone's ass and they're just like laughing at something or they're sad about something or they feel bad about something just like anybody else does. And I think that is really like the secret sauce of um, the MCU in addition to, you know, all the great stuff that it does. But yeah, really enjoyed it. But overall, I mean, I mean, I really did like the movie a lot. I, I, I have like no criticisms of it at all. I mean, I think it was just the perfect, perfect ending to this incredible saga. I mean, any other favorite moments you want to share, Corey? Do you feel, or do you feel like uh, you feel like it's also the best ending that they could have possibly done? Uh, I feel like it's probably the best ending that could have been imagined. But that's also me not knowing the depth of all the characters as much as everybody else. But I was very satisfied, and I feel like we have definitely talked this movie to death at this point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we have bantered uh, bantered ourselves to death here. Um, I don't have anything else to say, but I'm glad that we talked about this because. I mean, definitely one of the biggest movies of the year. I'm sure many people will be talking about it. I'm sure many of our listeners wanted to hear our take on it. So I think that was well worth it. Um, but I don't think I have anything else to say about this particular film. Although I was surprised to hear that Howard the Duck did make an appearance. I didn't think that he did, but he did. He was in the battle scene uh, when Doctor Strange brought everybody to the battlefield. I guess he's in like one corner of the picture. So that was something Aww. that somebody was like, oh, Howard the Duck didn't show up. And he was only ever in the background in Guardians of the Galaxy, and now he's in the background again. But cool, they brought him in. I like Howard the Duck. But anyway, <laughs> that's it. Good movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. You clearly enjoyed it. Uh, I think this is chalked up as a big, big, big win for the MCU. And, of course, uh, financially biggest opening weekend in movie history. And I'm sure it's going to be one of the highest grossing movies of all time. I have no doubt. So the MCU ain't going nowhere, and I'm looking forward to the next series of films. Yeah, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I follow a few people on Twitter who are, like, pretty big into film. Uh, you know, like, they write about movies and stuff for, like, The Hollywood Reporter and everything. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this uh, uh, Endgame is already, like, the number seven top-grossing movie ever. Um, and it's only been out for, like, a few days, like, not even a week yet. So it would not surprise me in the slightest if this became 
the top grossing movie ever, uh, which would overtake Avatar, because that's currently the top grossing movie, and then Titanic after that. So maybe James Cameron will sink, much like the Titanic, and Endgame will take over. Who knows? That would be fine with me. That would be fine with me. So we shall see. We shall see. But regardless how much money makes, a uh, big victory for the MCU, and I think we are both I think we are both fans. We are both fans. So. <laughs> All right, man, we have talked this to death. We better get out of here and start talking about some games because, Jesus Christ, this is going to be like a nine-hour <laughs> podcast, buddy. <laughs> you ready to talk about games? I am ready to talk about some games. All right, let's talk about some games.